OTB Rugby. It was a case of, it's going to be really difficult to beat this Gloucester team at home here, uh, but we owe it to the fans and ourselves to get a performance. It was a very emotional kind of Friday night meeting. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Fast 7 Friday morning, welcome to OTB AM. Adrian here, Ashling over there, and Cameron there. Ah, hello. Good morning. What's happening? All good now, Adrian, how are you? All is good. I'm a little bit tired, not going to lie. I spent uh, 10 hours in various um, hospitals yesterday with the young fella. Oh, dear. um, Just shopping around, was it? uh, He, do you know, have you heard of the um, Lego up the nose trick? Ah, yes. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no, it doesn't sound good. I haven't heard of it. Fill me in. Uh, yeah, he, he he managed to get a piece of Lego stuck up his nose yesterday oh, morning. Tiny little piece of Lego. It's the tiny stuff. He's obsessed as they are. He's six at that age. Obsessed with the stuff and was like trying to jam the little it's tiny. It's, it's probably like half the size of your little fingernail. Right. And was trying to jam it onto another piece. It flick. From what I can gather, what happened? Oh, is, is, is this flicks, his version of it? It flicks up. Exactly. Yeah. It flicks up. And goes up his nose. I actually wouldn't overly doubt that that's what happened. And I'd say he went chasing it. And that's where the trouble kicked in. Oh, no. So uh, <laughs> it was it was gettable when we went to the first place. But in the effort to take it out, went up a little bit more. Oh, no. And then we went to the second place. In the effort to take it out, we went up a little bit more. And by four o'clock yesterday afternoon, we were going for a general anaesthetic and um, trying to fish it out. And after all of that, he swallowed it. <gasps> He had swallowed it at some point, which is fine. We'll, yeah. We will never see it again, needless to say. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so that's and why our, did you go from place stressful. to place? What's that? Why did you go from place to place? Well, we went to the first place because we thought, this is nothing, it's sort of minor enough. Right. And so, because uh, you could see it, you know, if you yeah. looked in a little bit, you could see it. So, well, we'd be able to fish that out. But the fishing out wasn't sufficient to, uh, it, it, just ended up putting it back up a bit, a bit okay, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then where we were in the first place, they then it became too significant for them to deal with. And then we went on to the next place. And it was a fun all day. Jeez. How was he? Was he okay? He was flying it and he was grand with the, the piece of leg up the nose. He didn't give, He was like, can we go home? Like, I just don't want to do any more of this. It was the sh- uh, uh, shuffling around to get the thing out. Yeah. That's yeah. what was driving a bonkers. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, well, that but, is a um, good story for me uh, to tell. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I've heard uh, like a million times that this happened to kids before and I've always, every time, been like sitting in my high horse going, what is wrong with these kids that they're sticking Lego up their nose? <laughs> and I was talking to some of the people, uh, brilliant people in... Uh, Crumlin Children's Hospital yesterday and they were saying this is not unusual this happens all the time and more often than not it's in the ear yeah that the kids are sticking the Lego in their ear oh okay yeah Yeah. okay which would be a deliberate kind of I don't want to know where am I going to put this bit of Lego yeah well listen there's only a certain amount of anyway uh, that's happened to me before has it (laughs) I just thought the Cameron was very like oh yeah yeah and I said you know a lot about this no it well went through that but um, (laughs) yeah yeah. a couple of weeks ago got it out again so it's fine a couple of weeks ago. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Whoa, we just fun. unearthed something here. Bit of what happened to you? There. As uh, a kid? No, I think Absolutely. my brother. Now, I was. It actually didn't happen to me. I think it happened to my brother a few times. Okay. Um, we were a big Lego family. So, yeah. naturally, you know, 
curiosity gets the better of you sometimes and yeah. you just see what happens. When you say it to people to begin with, they assume that it's like one of the giant Lego blocks. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah they, they, but they properly look at you in a kind of Ralph Wiggum sense yeah. forever then. Where it's, like, it's, oh, it's fair enough. You can't good be left story. alone with the scissors. We can talk about it forever, you know. Yeah, I mean? it's yeah. like, and also you get an insight into the actual, you know, work that goes on at a hospital like that. And the we were on, our issue was probably the lowest of uh, mm. levels of importance of what was going on there yesterday. So, um, anyway, that's, that's where I'm at. That was yeah, uh, good story to have. Here he's okay. <laughs> good yeah, story exactly. to have, yeah. yeah um, <laughs> share your uh, Lego stories with us this morning. Favourite sets. People generally do, like when we wander off on these um, tangents, oh, five people are pieces. like, oh, it like, yeah. Uh, uh, pardon the pun. Um, we want, we've loads to get through on the show and we've loads of great stuff to talk about. It's our final weekend and we might talk a little bit about the excitement of that in a few minutes' time as well. Um, um, but we wanted to touch on the fact that uh, Jordan Henderson has now been confirmed the worst kept secret in sport. He's uh, gone to Saudi Arabia um, for a, what I would describe as a money smash and grab job. Mm-hmm. Get in, get the cash, get out of there. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo showed them the way. This is, we can do this. We can go in, knock a couple of um, really good years out of our career for um, money-wise anyway. Messi obviously was doing it with his endorsement of Saudi Arabia, even though he didn't eventually take the playing move. We shouldn't laud him too much. Like He was definitely uh, there supporting as an ambassador. Beckham took the dough, obviously from Qatar um, during the World Cup as well. Henderson now, you've Benzema obviously, Firmino, Kante. Yeah, Mbappe but turned it down. Mbappe was like a cigarette paper away from just doing it so yeah, again so. like I wouldn't you know yeah. I saw somebody saying like you know I can't believe that you know he's um, turning down the PSG uh, the, the righteousness of PSG to make a move to Saudi Arabia so you know look for the source of money you're at PSG of course um, the list is going to get bigger and bigger and like you know where this uh, where is it going to end is really up to the Saudis do they have the desire to continue to attract the world's best players to Saudi Arabia because the players are going to continue to say yes right like I don't think there's any doubt about that when that's mm. eye-watering sums of money are on the table. I think they're just going to keep saying yes. So I think, obviously, a lot of the fallout of the Henderson stuff has been his support of the LGBTQ plus community, the rainbow laces, the rainbow armband, the, you know, hand-wringing around the World Cup and we want to take all these stances and bad old FIFA aren't going to allow us to do it. And, like, it just turns out it was all nonsense. Like, and I do think that the worst mistake that we make, and I fall into it in the same way that everybody else does, is investing too much in the righteousness of players who ultimately, and I don't overly judge them because like we can have a conversation and most likely will know about whether, well, because it always comes back to, well, would you do that? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like it's a hy- crazy hypothetical situation. I wouldn't overly judge the players that are doing it because the sums of money are crazy. And like if somebody offered you that money, your first response, whatever way you look at it, wouldn't be, I'm not doing that. Yeah, it's what do I have to You're do? You're going to sit and certainly have a think about it for a little while. So uh, where you end up after that, who knows? But I do think that we need to stop falling into the trap of investing too much in, like the Henderson case just proves this now. No more like, um, go, go man Jordan Henderson or whoever the next person will be who's wearing the rainbow laces or wearing the rainbow armband um, because it's paper thin. Well, it shows that all that support is completely conditional and um, completely circumstantial, depending on where you are. Like, <clears throat> it's not really support, I think, is probably the point I'm making. That's the it's hope. But optics. yeah, it's not support if um, you can be bought, essentially. Mm. Um, you look at that, and I accept your point that they're huge sums of money and players, I've heard the case made before that, you know, you've only one career, so you have to kind of 
um, take what comes and take the best opportunity. Yeah. But I remember Jer said a quote one time that it really stuck with me. Are you not a citizen of the world? Do you not understand this stuff? Do you not go like all these people who end up going to Saudi Arabia? The question or the response is always, I'm here for football. I'm not here. I'm not here for politics. Um, that's not what I'm doing. I'm a footballer first. Um, and I'm not here to field all those questions, which I don't think is good enough, really. I think these are social um, questions that are in our society. They are, I would say, the LGBTQ plus community, especially in a club like Liverpool, would make up a sizable part of that supporter base. Mm-hmm. So you can't look at a move like that as anything other than a middle finger to them, really. Yeah. That's the point. It's it's not so much a case of well, how how much are your principles worth? It's that your you know, your legacy is that all of that work that you've done to support that community is gone now. And Thomas Hitchelsberger made that kind of illusion in his tweet yesterday excoriating Henderson that it's not even a case of I'm not supporting them anymore. It's that all, everything that I'd done up to that point was meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a few strands to it. Like when you're saying there, Cameron, that they're there for football. Like I often wonder the standard in Saudi Arabia. If you're there for football, really, you could go backwards playing out there. Now, a lot of these, you know, players that are going there might be coming to the end of their careers and it might make sense that way for them. And okay, they look at the money. We have some players that are going out there, Jada in particular from Celtic. He's only 24 years of age. He's on the cusp of you know, getting in the Portuguese team and now he's gone out there. So you look at that as well of, of where is his career going to go after this? Mm-hmm. And obviously morally then as well, you, like you have a short career, you've won life. Like I think you do need to look at your own morals and what's important to you in life because at the end of the day, football is just football. And, it, you know, are you going to be happy if you're, you have all this money in the bank, but really morally your your family, I'm sure there's a hell of a lot of people within your your family circle that have so many people within that community, you know, that are going to be disappointed by all of this. I'm sure himself, other people as well. I'm like, I'm sure morally they they have to be a little bit like this. This isn't right, he, you know. And I think that point is spot on. And he has lit. He has set fire to all of that, Jordan Henderson. Now, so he has gone. I'm an advocate for you. You've no voice. And I'm going to be an advocate for you and I'm going to, you know, publicly, really publicly stand behind you and say that I'm in your camp and whatever support you need, I'm here for you. And he just went up in a puff of smoke. He went, there's a trailer load of cash over here and I'm going to take it. The the, I hope that, like, even the players that are saying, ah, this, I'm doing this for football. Like, it's the, the live golfers who went for to grow the game. Piss off, like. Yeah. yeah. You know. They've subsequently admitted, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. And it never was, like, it's, you know. But then but, you look what happened there, like, and Rory McIlroy was was so outspoken about it all, and in the end, he looked like the one who was the idiot in the end. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, do we expect too much? Do do we on that point of like investing in the rainbow laces and the armband and uh, bending the knee and all that sort of stuff? Do we expect too much? Is that is that something we should stop? Is the is the Henderson case evidence that we should stop expecting sports people to be advocates? for stuff that we know, by and large, they couldn't really give two hoots about. We don't know that. And I think sport is so powerful that we need to take these stands. We we have to speak out at these moments. I think 
I would like to say majority, maybe I'm just living in a bubble, but I would like to say that the majority of them who do speak out and, and take these stands do mean it. Like Un- uh, Until until the trailer or the cash arrives. That's my point. Like, I think, he, I'm sure Jordan Henderson meant all that, right? Yeah. And I'm sure you mentioned before we came on air about the video that was the black and white at the armband, yeah. the rainbow armband and stuff. I'm certain that Jordan Henderson woke up or whatever, saw that video and went, oh, Jesus. Yeah, but, he wasn't but, told about so that. I'm sure he meant all but of that. He signed but at up, the same time, he knew what he was signing he's up setting for. a match yeah. to all of that. Oh, you, he, yeah. No, no possibility to go, by the way, I'm still with you. That's bullshit. Like, you that's waive gone your right to have any say in what they do from that point on. And your point on, do we expect too much of athletes? I don't think so, because... We are all so familiar of how big a cultural phenomenon football and sport more generally is and how much of a platform it is for certain cases. And we've seen countless times in history athletes using that platform to champion a cause, rightly or wrongly, sometimes there are other causes that we don't agree with, but they've been able to use that. And that's kind of gone away just a little bit over the last while because of the age of social media, I think, and the water battery and you said this and Jordan Henderson is a great example of a kind of you were a supporter of LGBTQ plus rights and here's you saying such and such and we've seen loads of players going I would never go to Saudi Arabia or I support this and then end up going Mm -hmm. but the problem is if players and managers aren't using that platform others are which is why I think Just Stop Oil have been really successful and gotten people's wicks so easily by using sports events because they recognise that it is a massive opportunity to get your message out there. So if players and sport is still going to be used for causes I don't care and that whole notion of sport and politics not mixing I think is nonsense. Ah, Um, But if players and managers aren't doing it someone will do it Mm -hmm. and it will be very inconvenient for the rest of the sporting community so you might as well take a stand, I think. I think, what's what have you to lose? <laughs> Where yeah. does this stop, though? Like, the, it's mm. so soulless. Mm. It, it's just, it's taking the best players out of, say, the Premier League and the likes. Like, I'm sure that's going to dilute that, too. And then we see them going to play this this standard that we're, we're told isn't great. Where does it end? Like, Unless they there, flood that league with, like... I know, and which no. they're, they're doing. They're yeah. absolutely doing. Like, I mean, does that point become... You have to watch it, like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. It, fe- it does feel like a million miles away from that, like you were saying. Yeah. Well, maybe you don't have to watch it. The, the Saudi League and the Saudi clubs have clearly identified the general trend of um, how football is supported these days, mm. which is that it's players rather than clubs. So if I can sell an al shirt with Henderson on the back or al Nasser shirt with Ronaldo on the back that's just as good as Ronaldo playing for in fact it's probably better than Ronaldo playing for a Premier League club say like a United in terms of getting You mean globally like that yeah. that there are people around the world buying People will still wear those jerseys I think uh, You know um, They've identified in what sort that. of numbers it's good. That's actually a good point I hadn't thought about like I wonder I wonder what sort of numbers are they selling al Atifak? Is that the name of the yeah. jerseys with Henderson on the back? Yeah, yeah, how many they are. But I can't they imagine even, no. even crappy there? replicas, like yeah. knockoff ones. It still gets the message across that he's playing for that club. Mm-hmm. And it feeds into what I think is becoming a trend in football and sport more generally of kids today, and here I go, sounding like a 90-year-old man. Um, it's it's the TikTokification of sport. Mm that you just want the moments. You want to see Jordan Henderson absolutely wearing the crowd against, insert Saudi team here. 
and that'll be you a clip. Seen Jordan Henderson recently, by the way. Yeah, well, that's uh, it. I don't yeah, know yeah. what they think. Terrible they're example. Um, <laughs> but like Ronaldo going through ten absolutely yeah, yeah, terrible yeah, players yeah. because that's the stuff on TikTok with a song and go, oh, what a goal by Ronaldo! That's how you get to those that fan base. Any now. of that stuff that I've seen on TikTok and I have seen it, uh, you see the goalkeeper like oh, thumping the ground or sitting there so disappointed, and you're like, what? Like really? Are you like serious? Like come on now, <laughs> you know how disappointed can you be? That you're yeah. like this bog standard goalkeeper oh, and one of the world's best players is like against planted him. one oh. yeah. exactly like you know, <laughs> I, I acting, acting your disappointment <laughs> yeah. is uh, quite the art um, right there's a good few comments coming in um, maybe they aren't uh, hypocritical but under pressure to perform to avoid the ire of the mob and to keep the brands happy uh, says Michael um, uh, Latte Larry um it's a man after my own heart with that that handle. Lesson learned: Don't speak out. Don't offer support for any group for fear you'll be you'll be torn apart like Henderson. Which I guess is saying, Shh, what should Henderson have done? Should he have said nothing through the years on the basis that maybe he's going to take the payday at the end? Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's some sort of a, a ground in between. Maybe, maybe that's maybe that's an alternative solution, or just you know stand your ground. Your actions have consequences, and your words have consequences. It paints a picture of you. <laughs> Um, Shane says it's fairly Graham Henderson is joining a club to finish 7th in the Saudi League last season with an average crowd of 5,500 people he couldn't care less what people think uh, uh, you, us normal folk need to think about it uh, need to think about it but these footballers are already very rich so it's pure greed on their parts as Fergus Kyo and uh, Daryl Tool wondering uh, how much Saudi money would you need to shove a piece of Lego up your nose <laughs> that's a good question actually yeah it just kills me that the love for the game and like why they got into it and yeah. The talent they have, all of that is just out the window now. Like mm. they forget completely where they they started out, mm. and now it is all just about the money. And this is where Henderson's probably going to finish his career now. Like that yeah. kills me, but maybe that's just me living in this bubble of like I the passion for sport. Yeah. And yeah, that that's what gets me. I just think it's soulless now. And we were talking about it the other day. We actually did a panel, and Michael Dermacauley was on it, and. He just said, I don't re-watch it anymore. I'm not into it anymore. Like, and thank God the GA hasn't gone mm-hmm. down this route. And, you know, when we're all the question of professionalism, if it was to come in, you know, that we're so unique in that way that we have this game that, you know, it's it's not professional and it is for the love. Yeah. And, yeah, we shouldn't lose that. But that's that's my point at all. I just think, God, it is so soulless now at this point And I don't know where it ends. I th- and I think that 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 is the nub for me, and I think that Henderson, in some ways, this is good because, like you know, it allows us to remove the veil of it being anything other than just a big money grab. Mm. Mm. Um, and I saw Jurgen Klopp hitching his wagon to uh, Henderson yesterday with this very sort of emotional "my skipper, my skipper, um, <laughs> you've been my longest serving skipper" uh, speech, and uh, on the Liverpool channels. And yes. uh, look, I, mean, I don't know. What, maybe maybe what else is he supposed to do? But I know that Liverpool fans are also torn over as well because well, absolutely. You know, I was in Anfield doing the tour a few weeks ago. Were you? Yeah. Um, and you go into the home dressing room, and Henderson's oh yeah name block was already taken off his locker in no the home dressing room. So they've obviously made peace with it. <laughs> was there a little bit of a gag? Was there like a oh, like, oh look at that? Yeah, yeah. Was there? I think yeah, yeah. I think yeah. There was a little bit of oh yeah, people filming themselves. Yeah. Not for long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was very any, funny. Any good? Uh, good tour, yeah. Um, not one of the better stadium tours, I think, in terms of it. I'm going to annoy a lot of people when I say this, but Liverpool fans are very kind of we're the best club in the world type. Oh. And 
Shots fired. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, gosh. A team's fan base loving their club. Who knew? Um, but I would have loved a bit more kind of history of the ground and stuff like that. And it was very much a sort of CV of Liverpool's greatest hits okay. throughout the stadium. And you think, oh, As like, in what, like... As in, they were just saying, well, here's our seven European titles. Is that another titles. <laughs> <laughs> is that No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't. It was early in the morning for me to be anyway. <laughs> Sharp like that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but I would have, like, they didn't really explain when the ground had been built or anything like that. Okay. And that was a bit of a disappointment. They went into where you never walk alone um, came from and you sit in the cop and all that. And it was, yeah. Where did it come from? Um, well, they started singing it. They used to play the top 40 before games. Okay. And it was a, was one of the songs that just Jerry and the Pacemakers took. Was it? yeah Jerry and the yeah. Pacemakers correct so so we came directly from that and then they then they were like oh we'll, we'll use it. I think they played it when they came back after they won the FA Cup yeah, right. that was the first song they played and the fans kind of sang along um, but after that yeah it was a grand hill, the hill rating out of 5 hill rating out of 5 I would say 5.5 good to see but um, 5.5 out of 5 I have a 10 out of 10 okay. <laughs> okay. everything's out of 10 okay. come on I did say out of five, but I don't. Yeah. I'm not five is a cop out. <laughs> uh, okay, you might as well go not, with two. Not a ringing endorsement. Um, uh, okay, the uh, All Ireland final weekend as well. Obviously, it's like uh, the excitement of it is off the charts, and we'll talk a little bit about the two semi-finals, of course, in Thurles as well uh, tomorrow night. But like, just the intrigue when you get to this time of the year, um, like, what damage is Liverpool going to do? Are they going to go man on man on them? Is Pascal going to get back to doing what he did in the quarterfinals? Um, will Cluxton finally concede a goal will he finally get the ninth All-Ireland will Mick Fitz is it Mick Fitz and James McCarthy will they get the nine All-Irelands yeah. um, will Barry keep Fenton quiet you've Desi you've Jack O'Connor I see Desi being very emotional about James McCarthy in the papers this morning the history of it the hill the colours the smells mm-hmm. uh, oh, just the anticipation of this is I can't wait for it I must say like as somebody who never really has any interest in the uh, specific teams when it comes around to it I'm a fully sort of paid up member of the um, occasion Yeah I think and we think back to the All-Ireland semi-final last year as well like what a game that was mm. Johnny O'Shea last kick of the game yes. into the hill yeah. unbelievable um, I think any time they, they meet it's an epic battle yeah. so it's, it's not going to be any different and probably that we've the, the biggest names in the game are coming up against each other did we ever think that we'd see David Clifford and Stephen Cluxon yeah. you know in an All-Ireland final sure. again like no chance. Yeah. I don't think anybody did. And as you said, he's, there he's will he score a goal, isn't he? Will he concede a goal? And I could think, it be David Clifford? What do you think? <laughs> oh God, absolutely. There's possibility. I David think it's Clifford. A chance, yeah. And I also think that like uh, it's it's a footnote, but I do think that like there'd be nothing better than rubbing it into them by saying, "Well, we'll beat you," and also that. We got you that know, goal. That that record. I see John Fogarty is always tweeting the he's got X minutes now without conceding a goal. Yeah. They'd love that. Kerry would love oh. that. That's the sort of bitterness that, that's going on there. Yeah. Oh the God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've been I was talking to someone in the lift today on the way up. I felt the build up to the final generally has been a little bit more subdued than usual. Mm. I don't know. I I haven't been Swept away by it, where it's that's like this is you're, huge. You're watching the rugby championship, you don't yeah, care about this sort it, of stuff. Yeah. Here, uh, I'm, yeah, living in, I'm reading Connacht rugby blogs instead of, uh, <laughs> instead of, yeah, yeah. probably yeah. the fact as well that the hurling was only last week. Yeah, you know, you just yeah. had maybe two weeks. And is it that our attention's a bit divided because we've got a World Cup going on? I mean, the Open was last weekend, so there was still a bit of fallout uh, from that. And then you get to Wednesday, and it's like, oh yeah. Um, the thing is, but I don't know. I've just found this year, and maybe it's we're still kind of betting in this July final mm. Um, mm. 
structure now. But I, I, I haven't been. It hasn't been this kind of all-encompassing thing, the way it would have been maybe a few years ago. Maybe that's just me. I don't know if anyone else feels like that. Please give me some love. But um, yeah, no, I definitely yeah. know what you mean. But I probably think it's probably because they're they're back to back now. You know, mm. if we had a little bit more space. We could probably hone in a bit more on each team. Yeah. When we're only getting over the celebrations in Limerick and all of that, and, and we're straight in then yeah. to, you know, the football. But no, it's, it's, look, we have the two best teams. They're in the final. Oh, yeah. Like, I think the midfield battle in particular yeah. is probably oh, one that's going to be class. The talking point, like, obviously. Fenton and Barry. Yeah, so incredible. Interesting. And yeah. we've seen Jeremy O'Connor and what he's done this year, and he's really stepped up and into that role. Mm. So that's going to be epic in itself. Um, yeah, and then who's firing on the day? You know, that's an easy cop-out to say that. But mm. if David Clifford has the, the game of his life or at the other end, it's Conor Callahan that's having a game of his mm. life. That's probably what it's it's going to come down to. These big players on the big day being able to step up. But yeah, really looking forward. Are you heading in? Yeah, bring in the young fella with the no, <laughs> no leg up his nose anymore. Um, so can't wait. A lot of people won't be happy that there's uh, under eight year olds at Crow Park and all our final of course. But uh, you know, that's yeah. uh, no, like that is unbelievable for them to experience. Mm, but there was, you know, uh, there was a, there was something said a few years ago about where tickets should go on on, on these sort of days and that they shouldn't go to um, anyway. No, I, I don't believe that for a second. Again, me too. Um, Clifford doesn't do quiet days that's the thing you know like where some of the other players like it was obviously the uh, battle off between himself and Shane Walsh last year and then like for probably understandable reasons Shane Walsh is quite your Clifford just doesn't tend to do that like he tends mm. to he's got a kind of Maradona quality to him I think uh, when the stories will be written and thankfully we're watching all this stuff but certainly when the stories are written of Maradona when they won the 86 World Cup it was very much Maradona pulled this team of average players through and won a World Cup which isn't true at all this Kerry team is fantastic yeah. but it's just that he is such of such a higher quality than anything else in the country that it feels like the rest pale in comparison but yeah it's I think it's pivotal 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 excuse me on how well he does if he has a really good game Kerry will win what's it like a bad game for him an average game for him is 7 or 8 points well like, against Tyrone in the quarter final everybody said he probably had not his best game mm. and he score? had that you know the the pass from out along the sideline where the ball was about to go over the sideline and he kicks yeah, it over his head yeah, so yeah, he had a genius yeah. moment in that game as well and that's probably the difference you know he can do these magic moments out of nothing uh. and he probably was a bit quieter that day which was a dangerous thing then going into the semi-final because then you saw the what he did against yeah. Derry then. You know, we got nine points that day. Well, Chris McCaig did a good job on him. I often think it's hard now to mark a player like Clifford if you think about how the game has changed. So you obviously have the mark. So uh, how do you mark a player like Clifford? Do you, as a defender, you're always told don't get out in front, almost let them have the ball and push them out, push them yeah. out. Because if a player like David Clifford, if you go to get out in front of him and then he gets it and he just turns, you're mm. that you're done. So how, how do you how do you mark a player like him? Do you let him get the ball and take the mark? He can score a mark from anywhere. And like, also the the size disparity. Like it's not as if Mick Fitzsimons says if if Clifford's out in front and he wants to get the ball, Mick Fitzsimons ain't getting it off him. Yeah, exactly. You've that then too. So I'm always like, it must be such an impossible job. But yeah, I think it's all about probably stopping the supply. That's probably how you need to think about it. Uh, Dan Delaney agrees with you, Cameron. Final build-up, very low-key. Same with the hurling. He says game's way too close together. Ashen is correct. Uh, if Clifford performs, Kerry will win. Simple as. Uh, Sean O'Shea better than Clifford, in my opinion, to somebody else. 
Um, and it's the wrong time of the year. Usually kids are back in school. Um, usually adds to the I'd say we don't get the school shots anymore of going to various players' primary schools. Oh, and, yeah. Which uh, was always a part of the build-up for me. Um, when Henderson does his first interview, says... PWGC here on YouTube with the Western Press someone should ask him straight up do you still support LGBTQ plus issues and see what he says um, will he will his club stop talking to will his club stop him talking on these issues I mean yeah uh, I'm sure that it, as much as we discussed the black and whiting out of the rainbow armband he went he wasn't knocking on the door the following morning to go by the way um, would you mind not doing that again because I really like support those issues mm. like that's not a conversation that happens no because he's signed up now he he knows what he signed up to yeah. the opposite the silence is deafening isn't it yeah um, something that kind of just a last wee tidbit um, from because we've the ladies uh, semi-finals as well to get to which we could preview in a minute but um, something that really is annoying me about the World Cup on the subject of football uh. is um, social media teams putting up the team announcements as videos rather than photos. Have you seen those? Is yeah. The, the Canada one came out. What's annoying about that? It's, it's really annoying. Like just, hey, put, just put up the team first and then have <laughs> some sort of glossy team reveal video because you have to wade through. It's not, not good content though, you know what I mean? It's no, not, but it's, it's, it's really frustrating. You're thinking of it from a work point of view. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm being to go and just an get entirely it. self-serving <laughs> um, gripe I have with this. But it's, I just, I don't, I don't know. It's, too much and you're sort of you're waiting and then maybe 10 seconds from the end they'll reveal the team it's all this build up not a fan of it Owen Collins is challenging you actually he says uh, money is always at the heart of it how many GEA players truly love the AFL (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a slightly different dynamic but maybe yeah no I I get it money is always at the heart of it I just was making the point that I think it's nice that we actually have this organisation now that it's it's not all about, you know, you're there because you're getting X amount of money. You're actually there playing because you actually love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you get the opportunity to, to go to the AFL and you have a professional lifestyle, geez, absolutely. Like yeah, it's slightly different in that AFL is paid compared to GAA unpaid, whereas, you know, if you're going from Premier League to Saudi, the Saudi League, it's an extra zero on your salary. It is, it is Probably a, a little bit of a difference there. It is there. a different dynamic on it. Um, and one other one here. Uh, bam, 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 Where's it gone? Uh, you're living in fancy land. Of course, they're taking the money. Who wouldn't? And, uh, you know, that's a deeper conversation that we might get back to again at some point. Um, so, uh, the two semi-finals uh, tomorrow night in Thurless. Kerry against Mayo, five o'clock. Cork and Dublin, half past seven. I think you're heading down to both of them. Yeah. And obviously with your own crowd out now. I know. Everybody fancies a bit of a lash off this don't they like are Kerry the slight favourites or what's the overall uh, yeah I would say that's probably the overall feeling mm. obviously they knocked Mead out um, in the last game it, it was down in Kerry and it was an awful brutal. night a brutal night yeah it really was but Kerry you definitely see that they've come on a lot since last year they've really mm. grown as a team and you've seen the likes of Louise Galvin was lining out in midfield for them what a player yeah um, and yeah, I think for Louise Neymar Hertig and everything that she has gone through with this Kerry team, it would be incredible to see her back in a an All Ireland final. Obviously, we we saw them there as well last year. So, yeah, I think for them the big news that came out was that Chief Roche, their captain, she's out again with a cruciate ligament injury, which happened only in training, training. during the week. It's her second time doing it. Declan Quill was saying that they had basically had a wake afterwards. They had to fully sit down and address it and sort of grieve it and yeah. work through it. 
because oh, okay. she's their captain and, you know, she's really stepped up. I talked to her at the start of the year and just when she was taking the captaincy, you know, the way to do it and Kerry, if obviously yeah. you win, yeah, your your championship there. So she took it on and, yeah, she really grown into the role and she had a big part to play again for Mead, you know, against mm-hmm. Mead in that win. So it, it's a massive loss for them and just terrible to see that happening to, to so many players and especially when they're coming to the end of the season as well. You know, these big games in Crow Park, if they make the final, it's just, yeah, it'd be terrible for, for her to see her on the sideline now if that is the case. But yeah, they're coming up against Mayo who, yeah, have done well. have gone under the radar a little bit. I think Mayo have done really well. They have a young team coming through. Obviously, they had that experience coming back as well. And they bet Galway by, I think it was a point, point in the yeah. end. Yeah, so they definitely are going under the radar. They probably like it like that, coming up against Kerry. And then the other side of things, then Cork and Dublin. I was at the Cork and Armagh game down in Armagh. Mm. And they knocked Armagh that day to progress. And wasn't overly impressed with, with Cork mm. that day. Um, it was a messy night and obviously they had to travel to Armagh. But I, I just felt like they... F- they aren't fully firing yet so there could be a big performance in Cork yet mm. and obviously then we've seen Dublin they had a really comfortable win over Donegal to get to this point so they will be coming into this full of confidence but at the same time we might see a response because I'd, from Cork because I really didn't think they, they would have been happy leaving Armagh that day they only had a two point win and there was no Amy Mackin playing for, yeah. for Armagh and I saw the managers stepped away from Armagh as well during the week um, yeah. they, I, you look at the carry result and you kind of think against Meath obviously and given the nature of it and you sort of try to read a fair bit into it they'd scored 2-7 in the first half yeah. brutal conditions and they end up scoring like hanging on scoring a point I think in the second half is it is it an un, you would want to use it as a benchmark or a reference to be able to preview the game and say like you were kind of talking about you know this is uh, the continuing involvement of this team is it almost like is there anything in it just given the conditions the the you know fast start loads of scores mm. um, blitzing the team out of it in the first half enough to be able to hang on or is it just worthless given that you know ideally there's not going to be a repeat of that madness on Saturday night. Yeah, I don't think you can read into it very much. Like we played in a, a final in the Paddy O'Shea tournament and it just reminded me of this so much. Like when you've seen the players running at the wind, they were pulled back. You could see that on TV. That I remember the final we played in and it was very much like that. Like one half we scored, the next half they yeah. scored. Yeah. And that's exactly that's what it. happened in the game. You can't take very much from it. The conditions were, were terrible. You know, but I think what you take from it is probably the other performances that Kerry have put in through the year. And you look at that and I do think that they probably are the informed team at the right. minute. Um, it's hard to know. It's so wide open. Like I would have said Donegal, you know, they had mm-hmm. showed signs of it and they got, you know, annihilated in the end by, by Dublin. So, yeah, it's hard to, to to read into this year, which is great, though. You know, it is wide open. Mm. But I don't know if I was looking at it, I probably think it could be a, a Kerry Dublin. Oh, mm. the, is the the Kerry Mayo game should be a good game to watch in the sense that like they both like to go at it. There's no huge sort of defensive styles. They like to get their scores. Yeah, and I think you always get that within the women's game as well, which is so refreshing to watch. Like when I got to Derma and Cork game, I just sat there and was like, love this yeah. being there, seeing everyone going at it. Yeah. You know the the forwards stay up in the forward line. Yeah, <laughs> There's the, yeah, yeah. You know it might sound stupid. D, like, yeah. yeah, you don't watch the game and you see fifteen behind the ball and then fifteen behind the ball. It's everyone stays somewhat in their positions. Look, there is tactics to go into it too. Don't get me wrong. There's a hell of a lot of tactics to go into it, but uh, it's very enjoyable to watch. And 
players go out and express themselves and, and yeah and you'll definitely see that in the in the Kerry and Mayo game long balls inside quick balls inside girls Big running off the pitch. shoulder yeah Interless, like it's wide it is open exactly like, yeah it really lends itself to that type of type of play play like yeah yeah, yeah. so it is it's very exciting um, yeah and I think it, it's it's anyone's game because it's so wide open there's not a hell of a lot between the teams which is great to see mm. so yeah Kerry Dublin I think Cork Dublin game in particular will be the tightest of the okay. of the two. As in, I, you think Kerry are going to do a bit of a number of Mayo? Uh, I just think that Kerry should have enough now, okay. yeah, to to get over the line. Right. Um, but between the the Cork and Dublin, I think at the minute what I'm seeing, maybe Dublin, but they haven't been firing all year either. So, yeah, everybody's had their moments in this championship, and then they've yeah they've fallen down as well. So it's so hard to know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you whetted the appetite nicely. Kerry, obviously, dogged as well, like they were as they were against me. It will be interesting to see how much of that game sort of is threaded into this. And you know, because if they can carry a lot of that over, then suddenly you're uh, they are worthy favourites heading into the final. And uh, yeah, I know it was. It was hard to see Mead being knocked out. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of talk all year. Obviously, they didn't have a a smooth year in terms of the management stepping away um, and everything else in between. So. Yeah, wasn't wasn't great to see them knocked out, but I think they'll take a lot from it. Yeah, you know they they definitely will, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens now next year if Jenny Rispin is going to stay on. Mm. Um, I haven't heard anything yet, but yeah, we'll definitely well, the, be. The, the rise was so meteoric that like there had to be a leveling at some point or other, and it's not as if they've fallen off the face of the planet either. Like they're there, no. Boat, so. And a lot of those girls that went travelling that I'm sure will be back so I'd yeah. say you watch out for me again next year. <laughs> Shots fired already. Uh, righto, it's seven minutes past eight. You're watching OTBAM, the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball. Here's what's coming up for you between now and ten o'clock this morning. We're going to be talking to the former Republic of Ireland manager Sue Ronan in just a few minutes to uh, just take a bit of a breath after the week that was and looking forward of course to Ireland's uh, final group game as well. Ger Brennan is going to be with us to preview the All-Ireland men's All-Ireland final uh, from 20 past 8, maybe a little bit after that this morning. Grod McDade uh, finished second in the men's shortboard at the uh, Eurosurf 2023 in Portugal yesterday. So we'll uh, chat to Grod a little bit later in the show. Um, Shane Hannon is not somebody you hear from uh, that often, uh, nor his uh, guest today, who is uh, Owen Shehan. Um So um, we'll hear from the two lads. It's been a meeting of minds down in Fieries. Uh, over the last couple of days and sandwich between all of that Matt Williams will take a pulse on the rugby championship as it winds up a curtailed rugby championship uh, winds up and he'll be with us just after nine this morning and then Cullen Boyle to uh, further preview the All-Ireland Men's All-Ireland Final at uh, half past nine uh, this morning so that's where we're at uh, loads of comments coming into us about all manner of stuff and all manner of opinions um, about the various talking points that we've had so far in the show so please do feel free uh, to keep those coming into us and we'll come back to them a little bit later as I mentioned, uh, the dust has settled. So let's um, get the thoughts of the former Republic of Ireland manager, uh, Sue Ronan, on Ireland's progress so far. Sue, good morning to you. Morning, guys. How are we keeping? We're keeping all right. We haven't uh, had you on, I don't think, since uh, the uh, most recent game, of course. And obviously, yes. there's the pride and the emotion that we've sort of spoken about. And I suppose this is maybe an opportunity for us to, with the dust set a little bit, to um, get into more critical analysis Um the, the recriminations have started. I've, I've I've heard and watched and read a lot during the week about that. What are your um, two two down two defeats? What are your major takeaways before the final game? 
Well, look, as you said, I mean, there is overwhelming pride in the team for getting this far, um, for, for going toe-to-toe, two of the, the big teams in the world, I guess. Um, you know, it's a shame you spend ages prepping for a tournament, the build-up since we qualified last October, November, whenever it was, and then it's over very quickly. Really, within six days, I suppose, we're out. Um, unfortunately, the, the team need to move on very quickly because, you know, you want to end on a high, you want to get a result against Nigeria. That's not a dead rubber of a game in any way, shape or form. Obviously, they can still go through now, you know. Um, but when you look at it, I think we definitely deserve more from both the games. Um, you know, I don't think we showed the best of ourselves. Maybe against Australia, there was probably some nerves there. It was a huge occasion, huge crowd. We know all that. We really waited. We weren't in any danger, but we didn't really put our best foot forward, I think, until we went behind. But, you know, it was so different against the Canadians. And I was saying to myself, why didn't we play like this against Australia? We started off so confidently, got in their faces. You know, they didn't know what hit them, really. Um, we got everything right, tactics right. You know, we our press was in unison, everything. And then scored a cracker of a goal and really you know it was the equivalent I suppose of having a boxer on the ropes and unfortunately we just didn't get that killer blow we didn't get that second goal which is badly was badly needed really and then you know the sucker punch conceding just before halftime really knocked us um and then you know the second half was so disappointing we really it was like we fell off the edge of a cliff really you know in fairness they galvanized they made some great great substitutions huge experience came on the pitch um, and they were able to lift it up a level and uh, the goal obviously came at the right time for them and they were a different team in the second half as were we unfortunately we went the other way and they went up and 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 you know we we weren't that great so yeah the recriminations have started as you say um there's a lot of whispers around I suppose now a lot of discussion around Vera and her whether she should stay whether she should go and that's always going to happen I guess and should this player been in? Should that player been in? You know, what team we should have played? And you get that, I suppose, at every tournament. But yeah, really, you know, overwhelming pride, I guess, with the team. I definitely think there's more in this team. I think we have a taste now of qualifying for a major tournament and, and hopefully we push on from here. You'll see us going on to, to qualify for the next Euros and then and, and, and after that other, other major finals. Just the point, Sue, that you made there that why didn't we play against Australia, how we played in the first half? against Canada. Why do you think that is? Like we played a lot more on the front foot with energy, a bit of ambition about us when maybe against yeah. Australia, was it a little bit of naivety, maybe being a bit cautious because park the bus maybe and, and hope for the draw? Yeah, yeah, it was, I'm sure it was a cautious approach. And and look, you know, we, we need to understand, I suppose, our level. Yes, we've qualified, we've done fantastic. We're still behind these top teams, there's no doubt. But I still think we can give them a good game on any given day and we can take it to them, as we showed against the Canadians in the first half, as we showed against Australia in the last 20 minutes. I suppose maybe we want to ease our way into the tournament. We, we didn't want to concede anything. We wanted to be difficult to break down, which we were. Um, you know, everyone's aware that the 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 system this team plays it's quite a conservative approach. Um, that's Vera's style. That's what she wants from this team. Um, and I don't think that was ever going to really change in the tournament. I suppose going into that second game, we knew we needed something, so it had to change a bit. Um, I think if we sat back and defended and invited Canada on and given them the momentum, that would be an absolutely the wrong thing to do. So we proved we can take it to these teams. 
Um, you know, so I, I think we can definitely mix it. And, and I think this team is ready to take that next step now to evolve a bit where, yes, you can be compact. Yes, you can be in your low block when you need to be against the really good teams at vital moments in matches. And those vital moments are probably just before halftime and after halftime, which is when we've been conceding. Um, but there's also moments when we can take the game to, to our opponents. And, you know, unfortunately, I think we look short of ideas how to score from open play in the second half. And, you know, that could potentially be a culmination that that hasn't been our approach, you know, and maybe the emphasis hasn't been on that in training. Um, but for me, I think we're, we're definitely able to do it in, in parts of games. There's no reason why we can't. If the emphasis needs to be on that in training, and I don't know if I'm misreading what you're saying, but that suggestion possibly that it hasn't been up to this stage. And like when you look ahead to the Northern Ireland and the Hungary Games, obviously in September, the expectation levels feel to be rising, but I mean, our inability to score goals or goals from play, um, it comes back to a point that you touched on earlier on about Vera Pau and, you know, the question is being asked, as you've said, um, whether she should stay on or not. What's, when you put all that in the mixer, what is your, what is your net result? What was your answer to that question, I suppose, Sue, when you asked yourself, should Vera Pau stay on? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know what goes on in training. I, I'm not in, involved in the camp. I mean, you hear whispers and you hear different things and, and stuff. But obviously, you know, we train with the way we set ourselves up. I'm sure that's the way we train. I'm sure we obviously do, you know, um, look at training the other end of, of the pitch as well. But I suppose when the emphasis has been on that deep defensive block, just within a game, the mindset, it might be a little bit difficult to change that um, when needed or, you know, at, at the flick of a switch, I guess. Um, but I certainly think that's the next evolution for this team to be able to to change styles within a game. Um, and that's certainly something that has evolved in the women's game in general over the years. You know, teams are now, the better teams are now able to change system within matches. They're not rich, you know, they're not ritual. They're not stuck to their 4-4-2 or their 4-3-3 or whatever. They're able to change system within a game, depending on whether they're winning or losing or for blocks of matches if they want to go and chase a, a, a team. Um, going back to the question about Vera, if you're asking me what I think, um, I, I really don't know, I guess. I suppose you could look at it two ways. You know, on one hand, you could say she got us to a World Cup. Does she deserve a new contract? We've seen it happen with other managers, Trapattoni, um, Mick McCarthy, maybe when we qualified for Euros in rugby, it happens all the time, Joe Schmidt, etc. Um, on the other hand, why have the FAI not offered her a contract now? Maybe you could say, are they were they focusing on the World Cup or did they want to see how results went? Or is there something else that we don't know about? Um, like Vera has quite clearly said she wants to stay on, but there hasn't really been any word from the FAI yet. So mm. maybe they're just, it's a waiting game. Maybe they're going to wait until she comes back. Um, but I do think the team is ready to evolve. I do think we're ready to play a, a different style. As I said, I'm not saying attack for 90 minutes. You know, you can't do that with, with these top teams, but we can certainly go toe to toe with them for periods of games and for different, for phases of games. We've proven that we can do it. Yeah, so do we get the best out of our team with the system that we play? Do we get the best out of Katie McCabe, her playing so deep, do you think? Personally, I don't think so. And look, again, I, I, I will caveat all this by saying every coach is different. They all have their own style. They all have their own system, preferred style of play, their preferred system, their preferred players, etc. But for me... And this is my opinion. I feel some of our players are not playing in the correct position. And I've said it all along. I've said it like a year ago, two years ago. It's not just now. For me, Katie McCabe is better 
more advanced. And we saw that second half of the game. It reminds me so much of Roy Keane against Holland, you know, um, Richie Dunn in, in Moscow that time against Russia. You know, like they're like a one, she was like a one woman show. She was dragging the team. She really wanted to affect the game in every way. She was trying to drag the team. She really led by example. I thought she was absolutely brilliant. Um, for me, I think we get more out of her going uh, in a more forward position. Denise O'Sullivan as well. Denise, I think, needs to be a little bit more advanced. Um, I would also look at Megan Connolly. I think Megan Connolly, for me, again, her best position is uh, in midfield. In actual fact, um, I think when Megan played underage with her underage national squad, she was the number 10 position. So she was even the advanced midfielder, not even the deep line. But her game has evolved in fairness. Now she's gone on and gotten more experience and played at club level. But for me, she's a six. So she's your holding midfielder and she can spray the ball around. She has a great, you know, um, range of passing. She can protect that back four as well. But you could, if you release her into midfield, you, that releases Denise a little bit further forward. We have two other excellent centre halves on, on the, the, the bench, um, who've never let us down. Uh, Diane Caldwell, Clara Reardon really staked her claim. Um, unfortunately, we lost out with Aoife Mannion's injury, but yeah, that has been, that criticism has been leveled out here that we're not getting the best out of the players because they're not all playing in the correct positions. I mean, Heather Payne was another one for a long time. She played up front and really Heather was really just a runner up front. She's not a goal scorer and she knows that herself. Heather is better wide either as a wing or the wing back. Um, but look, again, going back to the point I made also, coaches have different opinions about teams, about players, but I, I definitely think, you know, we can make some changes and the the team can evolve because we do have some really good players and we have a whole lot of really good players that are not at the World Cup for different reasons, whether it was injury, left out, um, not experienced enough, but we have some fantastic players coming through and, you know, I, I, I don't see why we can't qualify for the next Euros. Yeah, and maybe if one of those players, Megan Campbell, was there, we might have seen Katie a bit further up the pitch. I'm sure that might be a point that maybe Vera Powell would make afterwards when she's sitting yeah. down with the FA around all of this. Uh, no, be- absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it was, and she was unfortunate with injuries to key players like Megan, Aoife. They'd have been in the team, and that potentially would have released them players into different positions, you know. But and then you look back even further, Jessu got a bad injury, and she yeah. she was Ellen Malloy. I mean, these are players that could potentially be in that squad and be in that starting eleven, you know. So we really have a huge amount of talent coming through and I mean it is an exciting time you know it really is and it's great they've got a taste of it now and they're going to want more and we're all going to want more so yeah I definitely think we can uh, we, we we can now start qualifying more regularly for comp- for, for major finals the um, the Vera Pau comments the last one on, on Vera Pau for me but the comments uh, before the uh, last game about the defence and the slow good players but they're very slow and she obviously made that publicly in the press conference and then afterwards particularly with Tony O'Donoghue after the game she was very critical of certain positioning uh, for the goals I think particularly in relation to Anya Gorman maybe and Nee Fahey um, is that just the cut and trust of like managers commentary in and around games or did it raise an eyebrow for you? Um <sighs> Yeah, like she did deflect, um, I suppose, a, a little bit of a bit of the the blame is too strong a word, I suppose, when she was asked. I suppose she did apportion blame to players. And again, you know, I mean, Vera has said she's very direct. That's her style. That's the Dutch style. Um, it, it is, um, I suppose, 
you know, managers are different. Some managers will deflect attention altogether, won't blame players at all in public, won't say anything critical, will do it in the dressing room. Um, I suppose when players are hearing, you know, the, the comment, whatever about criticising within a game and something that's gone wrong, and, and, you know, that can happen from time to time. Um, and players weren't named as well either, in fairness to Vera. No. But I suppose when, you know, when you're saying your defenders are too slow or, you know, we haven't got enough attack and whatever, I mean, that that can sort of play on the mindset of players. It absolutely can. I've no doubt it can. And it can potentially affect them, um, you know. So it, it's certainly not something I like to hear from a manager. But look, as I said, managers are different. Cultures are different. Um yeah, but it definitely can. It can play on the psychic. It can play on the mindset of, of players, maybe in bad moments within a game or, or shaky moments, you know, we're under pressure in a match and these things could be going through, your, through their minds. You just don't know. Yeah, there's probably a sense of having their back as well. Like, you know, you can be blunt, but maybe to them, or maybe in the dressing yeah. room, yeah. have that no, conversation absolutely. rather yeah. than oh. out to the media because maybe that can send yeah. the wrong message to the team. For sure. For yeah. sure. No, for sure. And again, as I said, that's different styles. And I would have never done that. And there's many other managers that wouldn't. But there's also managers that would. So, you know, it's different styles. But then you have to see the individual as well. Some individuals, that probably wouldn't bother them. Um, you know, they'd take it on the chin. But then there are others that it potentially could affect them in a game. So that's a balancing act of, of, a, of a coach, I guess, of a manager. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one. We used to uh, lash Trapattoni out of it for all the time. We'd be like, "How, how does he? Why is he? It's fine to say it." Inter- anyway, uh, <laughs> let's see. Let's see where all that goes over the next while. Um, just a last note on the Nigeria game. Then, Sue, what's your expectation on that? You mentioned at the very start that this is not a dead rubber. We need to go mm-hmm. for it. We need to use it as a platform to kick on into the yeah. Nations League. What's your expectation around what you might do in a team selection? Um, I, you know, I wouldn't make wholesale changes. I don't think she will, and I wouldn't either personally um i would freshen it up a little bit probably as i mentioned i would i would try and get megan connelly into midfield and bring in one of the other center halves um that releases then denise a little bit further forward because denise can be creative um well denise is a fantastic player we know she's a world-class player for me she hasn't quite been on her game in this world cup and potentially that injury maybe has impacted her a little bit more um but maybe having her in a more advanced role where she doesn't have as much defensive duties might, you know, be better for her. Might get we might get the best out of her. I'd also try and get Katie forward. I definitely would. Um, whether that means bringing in someone like Chloe Mustaki, who's never let us down, she's a natural fit. She has a, a great left foot, or playing Izzy in that position, whom Vera seems to to prefer. Um, but I would definitely somehow try to get Katie in a more advanced role. Um, yeah, but I've freshened up a little bit. I wouldn't make wholesale changes. Maybe later on in the game, give substitutes, uh, you know, longer chance um, to to get a run out if we need a change within the game. But it's not a dead rubber by any chance. I was very impressed with the the Nigerians. They're so defensively organised from the very outset. I said any two teams out of the four could qualify. Unfortunately, now we can't. Obviously, but you know, um, on another time we potentially could have if if obviously the results had gone better. Um, we could have, but uh, the performance was there in, in part in some of the games. But Nigeria are a very good team and they were even able to leave their top scorer out, as you saw, Oshuela. And what a player she is. Um, I mean, she forced the Australians to really rethink their defensive strategy when she came on and scored a cracking goal and really caused mayhem in the defence. So, 
maybe the, hopefully they leave her on the bench again. But you know, they're a very good team. Um, we're going to have our work cut out for us, as we knew all along. But I, I still don't think it's beyond us to get a result. Yeah. All right. Well, look, you've been very measured over the last while. Let's see where we're at after the uh, Nigeria game, and we'll um, we'll chat to you again then. Thanks, million sure. too. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for thank you. Thanks Cheers for that. Um, like it does worth bearing in mind that I was watching the aftermath of the game and like obviously Katie's in tears and like mm. Denise O'Sullivan's very upset uh, Denise O'Sullivan's 29 should be around for another World Cup if we can qualify uh, Katie McCabe is 27 could be around for another two World Cups if we were to qualify like yeah. the point that Sue was making there about the 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 positivity of the profile of the squad going forward like there's a lot you have your Nefahis Louise Quinn um uh, Diane Caldwell, Caldwell yeah. Aonio Gorman mm-hmm. few of them but like a lot of reasons to think that uh, that's what I, that will be my view about the Nigeria game as to there's no like holding back here like no. no sampling for the future none of that sort of stuff get out there and try and use it as a springboard into those games oh you September. play your best team you absolutely yeah. play your best team it's not it's not a game to you know maybe just give a girls a run because it's the World Cup and don't get me wrong the girls on the bench are, are there for a reason it was very tough to even make that squad in the mm. first place I'm sure that Vera will probably ring in the changes maybe a little bit earlier. But no, we should absolutely be going out to to win the game. And just on the team as a whole, it's such a positive experience. The journey they've been on, the process in order to qualify for the World Cup was so difficult. It was unbelievably difficult that for them to get there in the first place, we can't forget how we all felt when they first qualified. Like, it was incredible. And they've been there now. They're, you know, they, they've had good performances. They've been so unlucky. The first goal was a penalty. You know, Marisha Shiva, unfortunate. The next goal was an own goal. You know, Megan Connolly again slipped and deflected in. I just think sometimes you don't get the rub of the green as well. I think they did so well. And hopefully against Nigeria, you know, we can see a good performance. But we saw Nigeria against Australia yesterday. And yeah, they're 40 in the FIFA rankings. I wouldn't be reading into that. At all, I mean, it has meant very little at this tournament. Yeah. Even though, even though, like results are not always on the way of the underdogs, it doesn't feel as if there's been major gaps between those teams. No. At your point about the like Megan Connolly OG and the unfortunateness of it, like um, I, it all factors in when you're considering whether Vera Powell goes forward with this group. Like there were tiny margins that if if you know they'd mm. gone slightly differently, we wouldn't really be having this conversation. We'd be saying, "Oh, she's a perfect fit. Look what she's done with this this World Cup. She's worked her, you know." worked with the group that she has which yeah. is the euphemism for like uh, managing the shortcomings or whatever so um, yeah no see. I think Vera has done really well like she she's blunt in her approach but maybe they needed a little bit of that yeah yeah to, to really I'd like get to see I like you hinted at I'd like to see more of that internally and sorry I don't know what's going on internally I'm sure she is as blunt internally I'd like to see less of it uh, maybe a bit rich coming from the likes of us sat here I know that, I know yeah I'm uh, always I, feel cautious I, of that too like it's a tough environment to be in, but I think, yeah, taking players aside and in the dressing room yeah. and all of that thing. And I got keeping your back out there, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, it might just be her personality and the way she does things and maybe she means no harm by it. She doesn't even fully realise it's just the Dutch way. Yeah. You know, I don't know. But I think with everything else going on, obviously, with her, mm. that she should be acutely aware of that. And in mind of that, like maybe it's an easy shaking of hands for the FAI and go okay listen it's been great thanks a million and we'll see you down the track 
Mm. That might feed into it. I suspect it may um, well We do. have to take into account as well, emotions are high. They just got knocked out of the World Cup when yeah. she did that interview yeah. as well. So we probably... You're being, you're being very kind to her. We're probably not even thinking that, about yeah. that too. I, I look at it that way, but do I think that she should continue? It's been a tough road for her at the minute. Mm. I, I do think maybe you'd, you'd love to know what the players are thinking, but, yeah. you know, they've gone through a lot with all of this too and taken away from the football at times um, point, yeah. but she's but she's she's done really well with this group I would never yeah. take that away from her we got to a World Cup yeah. we, we can't be forgetting that but yeah it's uh, it, it's been a, a, a tough road I would say and I'd say one not easy for her and everything that she's had to go through and then balancing a, a national team at the mm. same time and who's coming in of course if she does leave OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball 8.32 OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball as you've heard we've uh, loads to come in the show but right now it is time to get stuck into Dublin Kerry on Sunday and to do that delighted to say we're joined the line by two time Ireland winner Ger Brennan Good morning Ger Good morning Adrian How's how, it going Ethan? How are you doing? How are you keeping? Not too bad Know yourselves uh, All good All good We had uh, Michael Darren McCauley on the show with Will last night and he was um, he was he threatening to boot Stephen Cluxton out of the retired players WhatsApp group uh, <laughs> yesterday evening Has he delivered? I, <laughs> would you believe I actually was on the road last night Adrian and I was listening to it and I, I haven't logged into the group to check but I will have a look here I'll let you know, but I hope he has. If you want to do that at any point during the chat and bring us the breaking news, we're happy to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I can do that for you. You played your full career with Cluxon, obviously, and he was already even well established, I think, when you came into it. But um, there's a lot made, obviously, about his impact this year. Did they get to the final? But uh, would they have gotten to the final this year without him? It's a a fair question. Like, obviously, Dublin have two very good keepers as understudies in Evan Comerford and uh, David O'Hanlon. Obviously, with Stephen gone for since last season, Adrian and 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 most of the league this year, I thought uh, David O'Hanlon did particularly well. I thought when Stephen uh, uh, turned up, uh, warming up for that was it the the league semi final or the, the league final? Um, he was uh, the first that anyone knew that he was going to be uh, back in the panel. I actually thought David O'Hanlon had a great game uh, um, that time in goals, which which was. Testament to his character that he 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 didn't falter, or become overly nervous that uh, the main man um, was was uh, was back in town and mm-hmm. was going to put a squeeze on him. So with that performance, I, I I was surprised to see that Stephen got back in so early. But at the same time, you know, if you're coming back to play and given what Stephen has won, you know, you're not coming back to be sitting on the bench. You're not coming back to sulk either. If you're not getting a run, you're coming back to put your shoulder to the wheel to try to improve the group and try to win back your position which obviously he, uh, he was able to do so would we have gotten to a final without him possibly um, uh, did we improve our chances of getting there with him we did mm. well, Ashley and myself were talking about earlier on about the, the drive to nine and the three players that are going for uh, and I'm slightly putting the cart before the horse here but um, uh, humour me if you will will, uh, will he go again do you think is this the last hurrah for him or could we see him again next year the uh, like if you're on the outside looking in, Adrian, and 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 so it's one thing. Former players, we never torment or ever ask some of the current players that we played with how things going inside because they're the type of questions that current players hate. So you're always respectful of uh, uh, those lads who are still playing that you would have soldiers with in the past. So so none of us have have, have asked them. Um, but from the outside looking in and from where you guys are sitting, it would suggest that bringing Stephen back in, Jack McCarthy coming back, 
Paul Mannion coming back, Pat Gilroy getting involved. It would suggest there's one last push here from Desi and his management team and that a couple of guys may step away at the end of the year. What's interesting with the split season, Adrian Nashling, is that lads will go back to the club. Uh, they'll play away. They'll, they'll get a couple of months out of that, depending on how well the club goes. And then, you know, six months until you play your next inter-county game. So, so maybe after the final or even other teams that have been knocked out in the semis or the quarters recently fellas who have a few miles in the clock they're probably thinking Jeannie Mac I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this I need a break but then all of a sudden you're probably advised listen leave it alone get the club campaign under your belt and then see how the legs are come Christmas time and then you could go at it again you know but uh, um, but it's hard to tell but it, it would suggest that there could be an exodus of lads after the game on Sunday And if that is the case Ger, where does that leave Dublin then? I think it leaves in a, a rocky-ish place, Ashling, to be fair. I I think Desi has, has done his utmost to try to integrate a lot of uh, uh, the newer lads um, and, and and put his slant on the team. But he, he probably has gone back to some of the, the tried and tested. Um, uh, Lee Gannon has, has certainly uh, been one of those guys that Desi's introduced and he's certainly up to it, uh, senior county level. I think he's stepped on again this year. Then Colin Basquell has been knocking around a few years. He, he's had one or two wonderful performances. Obviously, uh, most notably Mayo. He was better marked against Monaghan, so he'll have another opportunity to prove himself on uh, on Friday. Uh, Tom Lehiff has also been given a run, but um, like we've we've been very fortunate, actually, uh, myself as a, as a player to have uh, played part of my career with some of these great names that are taken to the field tomorrow. And uh, again, you guys, um, you're obviously me, Lady and Adrian Urdobe. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yes, End this sir. interview straight Good away. <laughs> Westmead, Westmead. Oh, Westmead, sorry. Yeah. So you two have a good bit of banter with each other in there. But uh, go in for Westmead a few years ago. <laughs> we but, don't even um, talk about so, it. <laughs> we've all been treated to, to one of the most talented group of players ever. Uh, in, in the same way that you're probably speaking about some of the Limerick players there too uh, in the hurling. Uh, you know, the likes of it, Paul Mannion, Jack McCaffrey, uh, uh, Conor Callaghan, uh, look at the list goes on. Um, it's going to be very hard to replicate those guys. Are they there in Dublin? They're not at the moment. Will they be? Who knows? It, it'll come down to a bit of luck. Um, in fairness to the county board over the last number of years, the, the, the structures are there. There's a lot of committed people in the county board and in clubs trying to, uh, um, from a participation point of view, first and foremost, to, to attract kids. Uh, away from 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 soccer or or, or rugby or, or other sports, particularly when they hit the the later teens, and and uh, so there is a mountain of work being done to retain players, which obviously does give you a chance, uh, um, maybe more numbers, you know. It does. Uh, the word uh, nobody has mentioned this word in relation to Dublin in the last sort of fifteen years, I don't think, but it does feel like uh, we're headed into a transition period. It must be said. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of the papers writing up. It's covered in a lot of the back pages this morning about um, uh, Dub's best ever is one that just so happens to be here in front of me here on the uh, mirror. It's in most of the papers, and it's Desi getting a little bit emotional um, about James McCarthy and what he's brought to um, brought to the Dub setup. The he best ever, he said, and there wasn't a caveat about it. Do you go with that? So, if you look at James' overall contribution throughout his career, and obviously going for nine all Ireland's, like James, James having a bad game is a seven out of ten. So consistently over his career, James has had the greatest impact on uh, this Dublin team as an outfield player 
and then you'd have to put Stephen Cluxon in that bracket with him then uh, in the goals. But 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 James is just overall contribution. He he, he just rarely puts a foot wrong. And even there's been a couple of games this year, uh, moments within games, and even I've seen him go 30, 35 minutes where the game has probably gone away from him a bit. And he'd be probably watching saying, maybe this is the end for James. And then all of a sudden he comes out at half time or he goes up and wins a great ball and he's driving forward. He turns the opposition and the momentum of the tie turns. And all of a sudden Dublin might kick one, two or three or four points unanswered. And that's the game over. And that's what James brings. So I, I would fully agree with Desi's uh, uh, assessment there of uh, James's contribution to Dublin over the last 10 years yes. and longer. Yeah, yeah, he's been incredible this year, like the form that he's been in. And maybe the midfield battle, this is is where the, the game could be won and lost. You know, Dermot O'Connor, Jack Barry, and then Brian Fenton and James. You know, it's incredible. Yeah. The, the, the four midfielders, probably four of the best in the game. Yeah, well, well uh, and, and Jack Barry and Brian Fenton, actually, it's probably been well noted at this stage. Jack is, is one of the few lads that's managed to curb Brian Fenton's influence um, in, in some of the previous meetings. So no, no doubt he'd be detailed to pick up uh, Brian again and to take him out of the game. Uh, Jack is, is more notably a spoiler. Um, he, he, he would have attended UCD where I'm working and uh, I've been fortunate to see him grow and develop. But uh, he, he's extremely athletic, very dogged, never gives up, gives in. And I think the challenge is going to be to Brian Fenton that this is one of these players that you haven't been able to shake off. And that's the challenge to you going into the game on Sunday. Can you shake off this guy and and, and dominate him? Um, I think in Dermot O'Connor, I, I think he's been very impressive at midfield. He's usually dynamic. I've seen him play with the colleges. Um, he doesn't seem to get overawed by who he's marking. Um I think maybe emotionally he probably reacted a, a, a small bit uh, the last day getting the black card against Derry and maybe with experience he, he probably avoids such uh, uh, um, uh, boys or, or, or uh, poor decisions to kind of um, allow himself to be put in that position to be put off but but he, like he, he has all the athleticism there with the James McCarthy too and I think it's going to be a huge and very exciting battle to see those uh, four lads go at it and it, it's hard to call it. The, the, the you would say the scales probably way in favour of Dublin, just given what what, what Brian uh, Fenton and James McCarthy have achieved to date. But um, they're going to be faced with two hungry individuals, uh, with Jack Barry and Dermot O'Connor. We had Anthony Moyles in studio during the week, and he was talking about it. Was a uh, it sort of stood out because it almost felt like it was rare an endorsement of Desi and uh, what he's been doing. And he was talking about like he feels as if the players are bought in a little bit more to the message over the last year maybe uh, uh, that they weren't in a way before that what's the uh, WhatsApp group take on uh, Desi Farrell yeah, well, well I, I, I a lot of the lads in the WhatsApp group would have played with Desi um, Desi has managed a lot of the lads who have retired at minor and under 21 and a few of the senior guys Adrian who have uh, stepped away and Desi's work as CEO and one of the co-founders of the Gaelic Bears Association so uh, everyone in Dublin has an incredible amount of time for Desi. Uh, Desi has done incredible things on and off the field uh, for players and continues to do it. And I can vouch for that personally um, through uh, my engagement with the GPA and uh, and the supports they would have uh, put in place for me when I was kind of transitioning um, out of towards the end of my career into employment and whatnot. So there's a huge respect there for him, Adrian. Uh, 
um, my point of view, any man, no more than Derek Ling taking over with Kenny. If you take over after a great manager, it's 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 um, it says a lot about the character uh, of that individual. You know, you look at poor old Anthony Miles. Did he get a six-year term after Alex Ferguson? He lasted nine months. But you look at what Desi has done coming in after one of the greatest managers ever, Jim Gavin, six All Ireland in seven years under Jim, and to be able to win in the first year, yes, is there a carryover from uh, Jim's influence on that group? Definitely there is. But then there's been two kind of barren years, uh, some good, some bad, uh, some ugly. But you can see Desi in his humility. He has reached out for support from some of the previous greats that have been involved and, you know, look at Pat Gilroy's involvement, look at Stephen Cluxon come back in and then obviously Jack and Paul Mannion coming in. Jack and Paul would have been on Desi's minor team in 2011 that lost against Tipperary in that minor final before we bet Kerry at that time and those lads are coming back to him because they're so loyal to him, you know. Mm. So, um, there's a huge amount of respect around the county for Desi. He's the most uh, overqualified water boy that uh, has ever existed. You obviously have played under him. What's the, what is Pat Gilroy bringing to the mix? Well, well, there's no nonsense with Pat, uh, Adrian, and, and again, as you said, lucky to have played with Pat. He, he you, you know, what I guess St. Vincent's, um, the, the culture we would have been brought up in has carried through, I think, to the Dublin team in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, there's no feeling sorry for yourself. You know, get on with it. Um, and and, and particularly in the, in the world that we probably live in, Adrian, where certainly post COVID, and again, I won't go down the path too much here because we be could be here all day. This sense of uh, I want what I want and I want it now, or poor me, I'm playing inter county. It's so hard. I have to travel here and travel there, and it's so difficult. And I I I'm missing out on this. I'm missing out on that. With Pat Gilroy and, and Dez and even Stephen Cluxon come back in, like what they would be saying is that you have the gifts and the talents to be playing senior inter-county football, to be representing your parish and your club by putting on that county jersey. You're lucky to stop giving out. And if you keep giving out, you can feck off. And, and, and that's what Pat would bring. So it's just, there's no nonsense, no feeling sorry for yourself. Just get on with it and do the job. Um, from an advisory point of view, I, I would say he's probably invaluable to to, to Desi Farrell, particularly this year. And and I would imagine, and again, I wouldn't ask Pat to respect him because he is involved, but I would imagine he would have had a hand in in in, in getting some of those guys back in, and particularly Stephen Clux and uh, Pat and Stephen would be quite close. I think that says a lot about Desi's character being able to ask for mm-hmm. the help from you know the likes of Pat and, and bringing back Stephen Cluxton. Who do you think will pick up David Clifford and how do Dublin curb his influence in the game? Yeah, it, 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 it's a, a great question, Ashley. And the obvious candidate would be Michael Fitzsimons to, to, to go pick up Clifford. Um, Fitzy has marked uh, David before. He is uh, a great athlete himself. Uh, um, Fitzy, his, his ability to... He's one of the most awkward fellas, asking, um, if he's marking you, he's not necessarily pulling and dragging or swinging digs, but he's just always hitting you the whole time. And I think he probably learned a good bit from playing beside Rory or Carl from Kilmacud Post, because Rory used to be at that as well. Just using your body to, to obstruct the opponent before the ball is coming in. And even when the ball is in the air, uh, being able to use your backside, elbows, whatever, uh, it needs to be to put the individual off. 
Um, so that's what Fitz will bring. Now, the other thing that he will bring, which I think is hugely important, is his uh, composure. He knows that David Clifford's going to probably score four or five points. He's going to set up a goal. He might get a goal. Uh, Fitz, he won't panic. He won't uh, go into a shell. Uh, there'll be a level of acceptance that he's marked one of the best footballers of all time and that this guy is going to do damage. It's just trying to limit that damage as best as possible while he has the ball in his hand. Uh, the support that Fitzy gets then is going to be huge. And Brian Howard is probably, I think, if Stephen O'Brien, looking at the Kerry team that was named there, if Stephen O'Brien is going to come in and start uh, in place of uh, agents Berlan, uh, I think that's another uh, headache for uh, the Dublin management to decide in terms of the matchups. Um, but uh, more likely, Brian Howard would be your man that will kind of hold the fort and give uh, Fitzy a hand uh, in trying to double up on Clifford. Um, and then thirdly, the press of the fields, I think, is important. There's a um, obviously a, a blood connection between Paddy and, and 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 David. And I would actually say that if you can get into Paddy Clifford's head, I think it does lessen the supply that goes into uh, his brother. And I think Dublin put a huge squeeze on him. And it probably, I think, a league Gannon or maybe an old merchant might be best suited to him uh, uh, to try and take him out of the game as much as possible. So. Uh, so maybe your three things, Ashing, a, a level of acceptance in that you're marking the best fella ever and Fitzy will, if you can break even with him, that's huge. And then the support coming in with a, with a Brian Howard and breaking ball or trying to double up in the tackle and then couple them with the, the press further out the field and, and particularly his brother, if he can take this thing out of his brother. I thought Stephen O'Brien actually did particularly well when he came in at halftime in the semi-final. He, he really got Kerry on the front foot, um, which brought Sean O'Shea into the game as well. Uh, he obviously had a huge second half last week, so uh, Stephen O'Brien will, 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 will take a lot of mind too. He's 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 very direct. I love watching him play. Yeah, changed the game for them. And you were saying uh, dubs by a couple. I I I think I think three or four points. Hadrian, I think just again on the line, uh, the guys that are going to come in for Dublin, we just have a bit more to offer. I think with eight, uh, Killian Spillane, um sorry, eight, sorry, which plan is it? Adrian is it is back. Um, from on the bench yeah. they, they'll have a bit more firepower coming in but um, uh, from Kerry uh, going into the weekend but I think overall Dublin they just have uh, too much I think um, and you're looking probably a draw match to the latter stages of the game and and maybe three or four five points of a, of a, of a flurry that, that should get Dublin over the line you see what Dublin did to Monaghan in the semi-final you know there's only a couple of points in it I think on 63 or 64 minutes you see what Kerry then did to Derry. They were two points down and then I think they scored maybe five unanswered points and all of a sudden the game is over. So Kerry are capable of doing that. But on this occasion, I think Dublin might have a bit too much. Um, now in saying that, Kerry have bet Dublin. This Kerry group have bet Dublin agent obviously two years ago in the semi-final. So they got that monkey off the back. Um, the challenge if you're in Kerry's shoes, and I'm, I'm conscious of a Dublin bias here, right? Mm-hmm. But... Uh, and you don't have any Kerry person on uh, uh, with me to challenge me, but if I was a Kerry man, I think the challenge would be uh, in order to become really recognised in Kerry, you have to do back-to-backs. You have to uh, be able to win one All-Ireland after another because that's what's been done by uh, the predecessors. And looking at Jack O'Connor's record as well, um, I think that's something he hasn't been able to achieve yet in his uh, terms as Kerry manager. And I think that will be something that he'd be keen to push and impress upon the lads so uh, that'll be the challenge for Kerry if you do want to become a great player 
or do you want to be just remembered as the one one in the road one in a row team, which uh, uh, won't carry too much weight down in uh, uh, down in Kerry? That's for sure. We'll uh, we'll enjoy it. Thanks, million for that, uh, Jared. Catch up with you down the line. Thanks, agency, Ashing. Thanks, Jared. Cheers, Jared Brennan. There. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like a lot of interesting matchups, which when the first five minutes is going to be interesting just to see exactly who's picking up. I thought it was very all. interesting when he said there about Paddy Clifford. And yeah, then if he maybe got into his, his head, head he's yeah. dropped the supply to yeah. David. Which which feels more possible. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. it? Like, uh, the, uh, the possibility of having a Clifford with a mic in his hand after winning in Ireland at Crow Park, I must say, is like <laughs> willing me to... Uh, to uh, I watched that again last night. The... Um, Oh, Paddy. Yeah, yeah, oh, his yeah, speech. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, they're the officials. Uh, uh, how they wrongly sent me off, I don't know how they sent me. But anyway, look, they had a great game as they're like trucking off the pitch. I know. One of the God. all-time um, great moments. It really um, was. Yeah. I was um, there that day. That was such a tough game because it, I think it was five red cards in the end. Yeah. It? Oh, they, but it was on, it was on they, air. They, they all I, come I missed towards the red the card they, on air. Did you? Okay. Yeah. I can't I was like, moment. how many red cards? And I was like, Four and someone beside me is like five. It's like what? Where's yeah, the? Fifth? I remember watching it. it. Was it was mad? Mad. Yeah, it was all right near the end. Yeah. Um, right. We will. Uh, we will. We will. Uh, by the way, he mentioned about uh, balancing the narrative. There, Paul Galvin was at the football pod show Croke Park last night. So that very much uh, take that box. And if people mm-hmm. want to catch that, it'll be available uh, for your delectation very shortly. And also, Shane Hannon is uh, in the kingdom as we speak, and will be joining us in a little bit to. Um, Bring the green and gold side of proceedings as well. So all that to come. It's coming up on uh, nine o'clock. Good morning to you, wherever it is you're at. You're watching OTB AM, which is the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball. There's loads of comments coming into us, and we'll come back to those in just a little bit. But before all of that, uh, time for something a little bit different. We are turning to surfing. Gerald McDade is a professional surfer from Sligo. He finished second in the shortboard grand final at the European Championships in Portugal, Eurosurf uh, 2023. Uh, this week, delighted to say, joins us on the line. Good morning, Gerald, and congrats. Mm-hmm. Morning, thank you. How are y'all doing? How are you doing? Uh, more, more to the point. Yeah, good. Super happy. Uh, still here in Portugal, waking up after the finals day yesterday. Pretty tired and sore, but yeah, super happy. Do you get a chance to get out and celebrate that last night, or what's the scene? Uh, we tried my best to go out and celebrate, and uh, had a couple of beers, but that was about the max. But I was so dead from. Uh, a full day of contests of heat yesterday so I was in bed by half nine so the ce- the celebrations were finished early. How long are you in the water on a day like that? Uh, so yesterday the heats were like 30 minute long so I had two heats so I had two 30 minute heats Um it doesn't sound like a lot but it's pretty high intensity so you're pretty you're pretty fried after every heat. You, did you, you mentioned sort of about the body taking a bit of a battering. What? How? Is, how does that come about? Because like from the outside looking in, the and I'm certainly not claiming to be any expert in the area, but the bits and pieces I've seen, like it all looks so slick and designed and carefree and all that sort of stuff. So, will you take us inside the waves a little bit? And what, how does that battering take place? Oh, it's uh, well. You're getting battered every time you're paddling out. Even you have to get through the waves. That's the first, the first hurdle you have to get past, and then. You're surfing on the waves. It's it's pretty physically demanding. It it probably might not look like it, but it's super hard. And uh, yeah, then when you fall, you're getting some hold downs and stuff. And yeah, it's it's hard, but it's good crack. <laughs> and how did it all begin for you, Jared? You might grow. You might take us back to how it all started. So yeah, I started surfing probably when I was ten properly. But my dad got me into it. Uh, like every summer, we'd go out once or twice uh, to Strand Hill and 
he'd be punching me in from when I was like probably five or six, I'd say once or twice every summer. And then kind of from when I was 10 years old onwards, I just kind of fully clicked into it and pretty much quit every other sport. And I knew that this was the one thing I wanted to do all the time. So, uh, yeah, it, it took up uh, most of my time and that's kind of how it's been going ever since. Uh, pretty much only thing I do now. <laughs> and you're a pro surfer. Like how many pro surfers are there in Ireland? Uh, uh, there's one or two other guys that are pro surfers in Ireland, I suppose. Like, um, there's guys like Colin Maguire, who's a big wave surfer, who's uh, made a career out of it as well. So yeah, it's uh, it's good to have some other guys like that that uh, we surf with all the time, and yeah, pushes you in, pushes you in all the different types of conditions. We'd be very familiar with talking to like golfers, uh, you know, who get into it and it's like, uh, it's that same nature of sort of you're going from venue to venue week on week and trying to scrape together whatever, um, money you can and winnings and sponsorships and all that sort of stuff. What is that like, Gerald, for you? Is it a comfortable living? Is it a scrape by or, yeah, how do you manage that? Yeah, so it is, it's pretty much the same as that. It's scraping every cent you can get together to, get to some contests to chase waves around the world you're just uh you're trying to just scrape as much as you can together to to make a living out of it and i've been lucky i have good sponsors at the moment and uh it's it's keeping me going for now and uh keeping me off the workforce so uh yeah i'm pretty i'm super happy and super lucky that i'm able to do it is there what's what's the you don't need to go into specifics if you don't want but what's the payday like after a day like yesterday Oh, well, to be honest, there's no payday after a day like yesterday. It's just the European Championships, so okay. there's there's no prize money in that. It's just the European title, and it's, yeah, there's no, a lot of the contests, they're like more, the pro contests, there would be money in and stuff, but uh, yeah, for this one, you're just it's the glory. doing it for the glory yeah. of uh, European Championships, and uh, yeah, happy that I came second. Would love to have the glory of first, but... It's all good. <laughs> Take the opportunity there to give your sponsors a shout out. Who are you who are you working with? Uh, so yeah, I got like Rip Curl, uh, Monster Energy, uh, Bradley Surfboards. Uh, get support from Sport NI, uh, the Irish Surfing Association. They all support me. My whole family support me. So yeah, it's great. I can't can't beat it. Yeah, it must be incredible to be able to represent your country as well in a you know a, a sport that maybe isn't as well known here at home. Yeah, that's it. It's kind of right now surfing is getting more and more into the mainstream light. So it's in the Olympics now and all that. So hopefully it gets more and more uh, mainstream recognition and it grows the sport greatly and uh, can have access to more money and help the younger generation come along and make more pro service from Ireland and uh, yeah, just grow the sport. You mentioned a little bit earlier there about the fine line between the silver and the gold. Did you catch a bad break with the swell in the end? Uh, no, like I had some good waves and uh, I was super close. Like I needed a uh, 6.5 and I got a 6.37. So, um, yeah, it's kind of down to personal opinion and human discretion by the, like in judging. So it was just, it was right there, the score I needed. And, uh, I felt like I did pretty well and thought I had the score, but, uh, yeah, it's how it goes. Sometimes you can't, uh, you can't, uh, control what everyone else thinks. You can't allow for bad taste, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the way it all is. It's uh, yeah. You never know. Some people prefer one thing. Some people prefer another. So yeah, you never know how it's going to go. But I felt I was pretty happy with how I served in the final and 
had good scores and yeah, I was I was happy. You mentioned the Olympics there, Grode. Is that the hope, the dream for 2024? Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of my main goal now for the next year is uh, get into my training and the next qualifier for that is in Puerto Rico in February. So that's our main goal is to try and qualify for the Olympics for next year. It's uh, it's in Tahiti, uh, so it's on a really good wave and a wave that I'd love to be able to go surf. So that's that's a huge goal of mine right now, yeah. Is there a bit of sniffiness from the surf community about the Olympics? Cause there was certainly a time ago. A bit of what? Like that the surf community were not quite bought into the Olympic spirit. Uh, I don't know. It depends. There's like kind of a lot of different sides to surfing. People who like it, who just want it to be like the lifestyle thing and all that. And they don't they don't really like competitions and stuff. So they might have been like, oh, we want it to be old school surfing and stuff. But I mean, 90, most of the people are stoked that it's in the Olympics and it's getting more mainstream recognition. And it's meaning it's just going to grow the sport everywhere all around the world and just to help the future generations in, in everything. And yeah, I think it's amazing. And everyone else I know think it's, thinks it's amazing, but for sure there's definitely some haters out there, I'd say. What's the... So are you, like you mentioned about the uh, travel nature of things, you've mentioned several uh, uh, exotic destinations already in the last sort of five or ten minutes. What are you, do you... Is Sligo then the base that you continue to come back to in between times or how do you manage that? Yeah, for sure. I, I live in Strandhill in Sligo okay. uh, right now. So every time I come home, there's I'm always hoping for good waves. I mean, there's not really anywhere else in the world that has as good waves as Ireland. Um, so during the summer, I try to travel a lot because it gets kind of small and flat at home. And then kind of come winter, I try and stay home as much as possible to get the winter swells to surf, uh, surf some of the amazing waves we have. I, I've travelled all over the world and I still haven't found anywhere as good as Ireland, to be honest. That's incredible. Yeah. What does a week look like for you, Grode? Obviously, you're you're out in the water, but what else does a pro surfer do? Do you do gym, is nutrition? Does all of that stuff come into it as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the last couple of years, I've started getting a lot more and more into my uh, like physical fitness and nutrition and it definitely is making a big difference. Um, it, it's you kind of have to to keep up with the game at the moment everybody else in the world is is really on top of their uh, fitness and stuff so it's definitely everyone's becoming proper athletes now in surfing so it's uh, it's definitely something you have to stay on top of and the national surf center opening up in your doorstep last month does that impact you uh i haven't yeah it's really good it's a super cool building and stuff there so uh hopefully that'll help surfing in the in the local community and help grow it and help help us all to uh, improve our surf and with a facility like that there it's great well listen will you jump on with us again down the line when you qualify for the Olympics and you go out there and win a medal yeah. as well <laughs> definitely yeah that's the plan uh, I'll definitely be back on when I qualify for the Olympics and uh, yeah brought them to give that a try and if it came off it'd be amazing <laughs> yeah well listen well done uh, yesterday congrats that's an amazing achievement and thanks many for jumping on this morning Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Cheers. Not at all. That's uh, Pro Surfer Grove McDade there after success at the uh, Eurosurf 2023 in Portugal yesterday. Silver medal. Uh, quite the achievement. Um, loads of comments are coming into us this morning on YouTube and elsewhere as well. And uh, we'll come back to those. Um, 
As we work through the morning, we're with you until uh, 10. We're going to be talking to Matt Williams just a little bit about the uh, latest state of play in the rugby championships we head into. It's curtailed one, of course, with the World Cup in mind. Uh, we're heading into the final round of games uh, tomorrow. So we'll get Matt's ta- uh, thoughts on that in just a little bit. But in the meantime, uh, by the way, as we head into our next item about uh, more preview of the Dublin Kerry game, a reminder that you can win a couple of tickets for the game. Uh, yes. They are available. And if you check out our social handles, um, you will get all the details on that. Uh, the post is up there. Uh, pretty sure it's still live, he says, frantically searching to see. Uh, there's people replying with who they think is going to win the game. And that's your mechanic to win. So uh, just check out Out Off The Ball on uh, Twitter. And it's all with thanks to AIB as well. So go on up there and check that out. Shane Hannan from the Wilds of the Kingdom. Good morning to you. Adrian and Ashley, good morning. How are things? Good morning, Shane. What is it like there? Ah, uh, we're flying. We're at the the Ha Ha Roundabout. Don't know why it's called. I don't even know if it's a roundabout, but it's called the Ha Ha. It's where the the tourists pick up the horse and cart. Oh and yeah, get their little uh, the Jarvis. Got one. Yeah, exactly. There's one horse and cart still behind me. There was about four a minute ago, so I was uh, cursing the uh, the American tourists there, taking them away from me from my lovely background shot here. But um, still one left. I was hoping for more equestrian action, but still looks pretty nice. We've got the Killarney Avenue Hotel. The mo- I would have shown you the mountains in the background, but there's a bit of mist. Down in Killarney this morning above the mountains. So um, yeah. I gave you as good, as good a shot as I could. More equestrian action. <laughs> yes, basically. So I, I was in, you, you were speaking of tickets there, and I was in uh, Tatler Jack's on Plunkett Street last night for a pint uh, after me, me travelling about the kingdom. And uh, it was a little bit emotional. There was a Dublin fan with his wife sitting at the bar. He obviously knew the, uh, the owner of the pub. Tatler Jack's is actually a pub owned by the uh, Kerry County Board Chairman. And uh, basically, he had a ticket for somewhere else, way up in the gods, the nosebleeds in Croke Park for Sunday. And uh, the Kerry fan behind the bar swapped him uh, for the Hill 16 ticket that he had. This Dublin fan was absolutely screaming out for a Hill 16 ticket. And he happened to just drop it into uh, into conversation. And all of a sudden, the barman pulls out a Hill 16 ticket for him. And I was like, the guy wow. was literally, he came around the bar to, to give him a hug and thank him and stuff. So it was quite nice. The, the little mix mixture of the, the Kerry and Dublin fans, they're all getting along in the days leading up to it, I guess, guys. Well... Funny you should mention that because Dylan Prendergast on YouTube earlier on. Shane Hannan spotted late in Killarney last night looking jolly. I mean, the jolly, <laughs> I'm assuming, was not looking delighted with life, I'm sure. You can't do it. saying that you were half cut. See, I, I had one pint last night, so you can get away with nothing. You can get away with absolutely nothing. I was absolutely wrecked. I, uh, I went down to, uh, to Farn 4 early yesterday and the Fireys area, that whole area, and then had a, an unbelievable drive out through Anaskal, through Dingle, out towards Ventry. Uh, we'll get to the clip. I was chatting with Darrow Canadier out there yesterday, but um, it was—it's an unbelievable trip. Kerry is such a beautiful county. I think that's hardly breaking news this morning, but um, yeah, the, the confidence in the kingdom is pretty high. I have to say, it was similar in Dublin chatting to Charlie Redmond and the lads during the week. Um, but I did get chatting to a few people, guys. I was, of course, during the week chatting to, to Dublin Jerry, renowned Dublin fan who wears the suit and the, the hat and all the rest of the matches. But I was just driving along the road near enough to Farn Four. And this uh, young red-headed lad with a beard was sticking out his thumb, hitchhiking, uh, wearing a Kerry jersey, of course. And I said, Jesus, I'll give that lad a lift. And uh, sure enough, takes me to his house. Lovely hospitality, breakfast, the whole lot. Um, lovely lad, once a, once a career in broadcasting. And to be honest, he's, a, he, he's got the knack for it. He can, he can fairly well speak. So uh, we sat down in his, in his back garden. So I think the first clip we have is of him. And we were talking about how he went and travel to South America. He's now home. And um, I guess he's timed his return perfectly to coincide with the All-Ireland final. Have a look. Uh, you were telling me there before we started on air that you were, you were you flew home uh, yesterday. So were you, were you travelling or, or...? 
was <laughs> what was the, what was the crack? How long were you away for? I was away for a year thereabouts. Uh, like actually, as as it turns out, the more I've read about this Kerry GEA thing, it, it turns out that actually they they are all Ireland champions and they won this championship last year. So uh, it's funny actually. It just uh, coincided with uh, my departure and my return. Coincidentally, seems to have ha- happened right on time for, for this game this weekend. So, uh, obviously, uh, there is some sort of a external extraterrestrial force uh, at play here that has uh, dictated that my time uh, away on the other side of the world has, has exactly happened at, at, at this juncture. It, it worked out well, and you obviously, um, you, you'll, you'll be aware of the Kerry stereotype, you know, the cute kind of Kerry fan that plays down chances. You, you booked your flight home, I noticed, for after the semi final and for before the final. So, I'm guessing this isn't a this isn't a coincidence. Well, I mean, it is a coincidence. It is a, it's a, it's a pure coincidence. It's uh, they're, they're, these things just tend to happen. I'm, I'm very very fortunate that uh, Kerry versus Dublin has happened this weekend. There was absolutely no planning whatsoever done when when I happened to be booking these flights back in February March. Pure coincidence that, that Kerry happened to be playing this weekend. Ah, uh, listen, if there was ever two like-minded souls to randomly encounter each other in the back roads of Kerry, yeah, his name was Owen. He was very nice, I have to say. <laughs> Um, uh, his mother Carmel put up a lovely, lovely feed for me when I landed in, in Kerry as well, and a cup of tea in the in the in the breakfast. kitchen. It was very breakfast, a whole lot. Go on. I mean, like a spread and a half. Go on. They sorted me right out. Give us the details. Um, oh, the full details of the breakfast. Yeah, oh yeah. You're talking, you're talking toast, uh, sausage, bacon, tomato, egg, tea, coffee, orange juice. Like you name it, it was wow. laid out in the plates, and a bit, a bit of white pudding as well. I think. I often wonder what the tomatoes doing in that mix. <laughs> I, I met say, um, I out of water, like I met Owen's family <laughs> when we did a show down in Tralee, and they are they're mad Kerry supporters. Shocked oh. to hear that, actually. Shocked, absolutely have- <laughs> shocked. <laughs> Where did he get it from? <laughs> I know they have a big like mosaic in the in the living room, and it's like a loads of photos. Uh, must be 70, 80 photographs on it, and I made the wall. I am. In a wow. photo with Owen before the All Ireland final in my Galway jersey last year, and he's in his Kerry top in Dublin. Jair's um, on the wall as well. Remember, when, uh, Jer, or the, the whole family popped on to, oh, to yeah. uh, surprise Owen last year before he headed off. So that little screenshot is on there as well. So um, yeah, they're absolutely obsessed. Myself like, and Ashley are not on the wall, is what you're telling us. Well, you might have been. I didn't look hard enough. Uh, my ego was only looking out for myself, not yet. obviously. <laughs> not yet. He's you might be coming back here in September, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe not now. The, the, um, <laughs> the Dublin team is in, by the way, and we should bring it to our viewers this morning. Uh, it's kind of as you'd expect, and uh, as Ashley has been pointed out during the own clip there, who knows who actually starts, but the team that was uh, named, Stephen Cluxman, goal, uh, Merchant, Fitzsimons, Dev Byrne across the full-back line, James McCarthy, John Small and Lee Gannon, you have Fenton and Howard in midfield, you have Paddy Small, Paul Mannion and Niall Scully across the half-forwards, Cormac Costello, Con and Baskell uh, in the full forward line, all of which means Sean Bugler uh, is on the bench, as is uh, Kilkenny, McCaffrey, um, Dean Rock. So, sort of as you'd expect, really. Yeah, other than you'd expect to see Kieran Kilkenny start. Yeah. A game like this. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think he is. Who does the, he come the, in for in that mix? Cause I like, know. I mean, Pascal, and who do you drop out? The, I don't think Pascal is going anywhere after what he did. He had obviously had a quiet game the last day, but after what he did in the quarterfinals. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You'd be shocked if that was the team, though, guys, wouldn't you? I mean, surely before the All-Ireland final, there's going to be a few little mind games. Has You'd imagine be. that's not the double team that starts. No, I'd be very shocked if we don't see yeah. Kenny start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We will, uh, we'll see how all that pans out. Um, right, so, because the, the camera was making the point to drop the show here, Shane, that the build-up has been quiet. Is it, have you that sense down there? A little bit funny. I was chatting to Ambrose O'Donovan yesterday, the former Kerry captain, and he was kind of making that point that... Um, 
there's not as much bunting and flags up around Killarney as, as maybe you'd, you'd have thought. I mean, there's, there's quite a bit, I have to say, on the main streets, but certainly around me here in one of the, the main areas, there's, there's not that much. Uh, there's definitely Kerry fever in the pubs. There's a lot of jerseys walking around the streets and you can tell that people are excited, and especially because it's a Dublin Kerry final as well, I think. It just adds to the mystique. Um, but yeah, it's maybe not the, the build-up down here that, that you'd have thought. There's also the, the issue, and I spoke to different people about this, the cost. And it's the first time in a long time in All-Ireland final you've Kerry fans talking about the cost of accommodation in Dublin, even getting up to Dublin. Um, and, and for that reason, many people aren't probably heading up the road. Uh, I know there's still a, a massive demand for tickets, as we said, but yeah, I think a lot of people are maybe turning their nose up at it. Um, but I did get to travel through little villages and towns yesterday. I'm a big, big fan of Tom Crean, the great Kerry legend, the Antarctic explorer. Uh, I think a couple of years ago, Michal Amrahertig was on with, with the lads doing his Mount Rushmore with, with Jaron Owen and he spoke uh, poetically about the, the, the adventures of Tom Crean for, for quite some time. Um, and I was passing through his home village of Anaskal yesterday, the famous South Pole Inn that a lot of people will be familiar with, and stopped in to chat to the owner, Gary Percival, uh, just to talk about the, the exploits and the, I guess, I guess where he ranks in the list of all-time Kerry greats. Have a look. I remember reading the, the great Dublin footballer Brian Mullins talking before about the, you know how Tom Crean was his hero and all he wanted to do was read up and, and, and hear the stories. Like, and I guess this week of all weeks, we remember all the great Kerry footballers of, of, of old. But, I mean, where does Tom Crean rank in terms of the greatest Kerry people of all time? Surely, given the story that, we, that we've heard in the 35-mile track, as you say, he's, he's up there. Uh, he, he has to be, really. But more, more than that is that he didn't boast about it. No, he was. He knew what he'd done. People knew what he'd done, but he didn't talk about it. He wasn't, you know, big-headed or anything like. That. He was. He was just loved by people. As far as I can work out, you know, there was thousands of people turned up for his funeral and things like that. So it was just like, you know, he must have been a character, and I would have loved to have met, met him. So yeah, there are plenty of bits and bobs even looking around the, the pub here. I mean, you've so many pieces of memory. But I wonder if I can turn that around just slightly to show people a, a taster of some of the, the things you've got. Like, has it been? Has it been a I guess a, a decades-long process to get these bits and bobs of the of, of Tom Crean, I guess memorabilia. Yes, it has, of course. Yeah, the, most of the photos on the wall come from the Scots Polar Research Institute in Cambridge. We have some from the National Geographic. Um, yeah, they're from the original slides. So, I mean, they preserve the memory of what the men did and things like that, as well as you know, as well as reading the books. You know, the pictures are very good for ch- teaching the children. You know, they understand. We can all say it was cold, but mm. how cold it was, is, <laughs> it's hard to imagine really, isn't it? So. I, I remember you saying uh, before in an interview, I think you were talking about the, the types of people that come into the pub. There's yeah. maybe three types three, of yeah. people. So maybe tell us go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three, maybe tell us what those three types are. There's people who see the name of the pub come in, South Poland, wonder what that place is, so, and then they come in and learn about Tom Crean. Then you've got people that know a little bit about Tom Crean or their from Ireland or they've heard something you know and they've learned their children are learning and things like that and then the third one's what, what I call the frozen beards would be all the people that go to the Antarctic who've been down there who've, who've experienced things and know the, the hardship that these men must have gone through and just want to come and pay homage really to the man that was, and the person that, and, the, and the little village in Kerry that Tom Crean came back to so yeah Did you talk to anybody about the football at all? <laughs> I did, I did. I was obviously busy talking about explorers and Antarctic <laughs> adventures and that sort of thing in, in Anaskal, but uh, there's two, there are two interviews I'd encourage people to check out on YouTube later on this morning on podcast as well. So uh, Ambrose O'Donovan and Tim Moynihan, like two Radio Kerry greats, they've become 
almost the Anton Deck of, of sports broadcasting down in, in Kerry. They're brilliant. Their colour commentary is, is amazing with the matches. Actually, and you'll be familiar with them from Yeah, the, I sat beside the them the last boxes. day. Something else. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're gas. incredible. <laughs> like, their, their commentary of the Shawnee O'Shea kick against the Dubs in the, in the semi-final last year is unbelievable. So sat down with the two of them in uh, Killarney and Ambrose's house and I'll encourage anyone to watch it back. Half an hour of unbelievable insight and chats and crack. Uh, Ambrose was, was 22 years of age when he captain carried one All-Ireland in 84 against the Dubs in the final. Um, but one of the clips he, he said, and we don't, don't have time to play that one this morning, but he said, bringing Cluxton back smacks of desperation uh, for the Dubs. So there was a lot of what? fighting going back and forth. I know. He says if, if that was happening in Kerry with all the young goalkeepers coming through, there'd be a, he thinks it's a, it's, it's a disgrace. Um, ah, so had strong feelings on, on, on the Dubs. Uh, and there was a lot of smack talk going back and forth. So please check out that interview if you have time this morning or even if you're driving up. Was that, train up. was that stirring the pot do you think or is that a real point because like it, it, the evidence is that it was a smart decision no yeah that'll be the evidence and uh, but I, I genuinely believe Ambrose firmly firmly believes that and uh, they were also and at the end of the interview just wrapping up and Tim Moynihan calls out Anthony Moyles uh, <laughs> Moyles has, has taken a bit of a hit from Kerry fans over the last few weeks for his uh, his opinions on the show I think it all stemmed from the, the Tyrone quarterfinal when he, he called Tyrone to win the draw was made live on air with us or we, we were reacting to the draw live on air and Straight away when Kerry were paired mm-hmm. with Tyrone, Anthony's uh, response, of course, was bye-bye Kerry. Yeah. And Kerry fans have not let him forget it. So that, mm-hmm. uh, I'd encourage people to watch that one. The other interview, and we have a clip of it here, is Darrell Kaneja, out and on Gwiltock Club. He's, uh, he's the chairman of the club now and a, a Kerry legend himself, captain, of course, the team in, in 04. Um, but he gave his confident Kerry prediction. Have a look. They bought the best out of us. They, they, they finished on top in, you know, 13, 16, 19 even. It was heartbreaking, you know. And the way I look at it, like, you know... And the bigger picture stuff, and again, this is not something that players will be talking about, or Jack O'Connor and the lads will be talking about this week. But and the big picture, the broad canvas you're looking at, Dublin have taken an awful lot away from us, an awful yeah. lot of prestige away from us as a county. Um, again, it's not something that you'd like talking about before or after a game, like. But every single thing that we hold dear down here in Kerry, Dublin have achieved, mm-hmm. and, you know, and done better than us. You know, they have emulated, and it hurts. It does hurt, and. You know, the party who hopes that the players get that. You know, the players get that. It's not going to make a blind bit of difference at half three on Sunday, but it's just that little bit. Except sense that even against Tyrone um, in the quarter final, that Kerry were hurting. You know, and sick of this talk of oh, this genuine rivalry is there. You know, what about the rivalry when Kerry win? You know, mm-hmm. um, which they had done in fifteen and nineteen, and you know, we we beat Dublin last year um, by the last kick of the game. And Dublin were missing their best player, and they've brought back three or four more lads, and they have Pat Gilroy on the sideline. They're seriously stacked coming into this game, but we'd like to think we're stronger as well, and we'd like to think that, that an All Ireland win in your, you know, in your locker does make a difference to you as a footballer. And I do think that there's more scope for improvement. I do think there's players in that Kerry team that have we've seen a good lot of now, but I think there's more in them. I think there's more in them, and I think we'll see it again next year and the year after but it's next Sunday that matters and it's next Sunday that counts and I just you know I, I can't see as a Kerry man anything other than a Kerry win um, I thought six or seven I thought we were six or seven points of better teams in the, in the semi-final last year they played games to, to, to work down the clock yes they have got all those players back and I don't say that out of disrespect to any of them um, we respect absolutely what they've achieved in the game but I just feel you know there's a tie, there's a kind of a tide in the affairs of men that comes and you know, it's Kerry's time now and they've never done back-to-back under Jack O'Connor. So many other reasons. But, you know, you get sick of talking it after a while, just throwing the ball at half three and let's see mm-hmm. what happens. Uh, and the Daryl Canada, like... I know, stop. unbelievable. Living the he dream. really mm-hmm. is.
Were Pant- you in the Potty O'Shea bar? Did you stop? No, in? didn't get to. Didn't get out to Ventry. Just close, close by. But uh, mm. it, it, Dara is such a legend, and, and everyone around the club there thinks thinks so and agrees. So I think he's uh, he's one of these players that when you look back on his career now, and even that one quarterfinal doubleheader against Dublin in in Turles, like the the drawn game, and then the replay when Morris Fitz hits the sideline in the drawn game, unbelievable. Like when you, you listen to Dara there, Charlie Redmond during the week saying uh, he thinks Dublin are stronger all over the pitch than Kerry. And Dara there saying he can't see anything other than a carry win. So one of these things is going to have to fold at past three on Sunday, guys, and then mm-hmm. um, confidence on both ends. Anthony Ryan says uh, the Kerry lads have a bit of hard neck complaining of accommodation costs in Dublin when they've been rubbing it into the Yanks and Irish people who decide to spend their uh, few bob and Kerry for years. So uh, there we go. What's the uh, you're flying up? I presume shortly, are you? And what's the what's your prediction? Yeah, I'm flying up there later on this morning back to back to the big smoke. Um, be honest, I was leaning towards Dublin earlier in the week, and uh, I've come full circle. I'm thinking Kerry by a point or two. It's gonna be a tight game, though. Wow, so that's what a bit of time in Kerry will do. To yeah, you. that's exactly it. Um, They've convinced me. They've convinced me 100. percent It's the breakfast and fireys that does it. It's the tomatoes. Um, <laughs> come here, safe traveling, and all the good stuff is up on our YouTube channel as well, like you've mentioned. So people can go and uh, check out the extended uh, piece as well. Come on, well done, good work. Cheers, guys. Long ago. Thanks, Shane. Um, off the Ball is coming to the Cork Podcast Festival. Uh, you can join us on Sunday, the 27th of August in the Cork Opera House. Jimmy Mur- Barry Murphy will be in the house and a few, few other uh, famous faces to be announced as well. For tickets, you can head along to corkpodcastfestival.ie forward slash off the ball. And uh, up next, ahead of the final weekend of the Rugby Championship, Matt Williams will assess where the Southern Hemisphere teams are at uh, with the World Cup on the horizon. OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball Alright, as promised to look ahead to the final weekend of a curtailed rugby championship and what it'll mean for the Rugby World Cup particularly delighted to say Matt Williams is on the line Morning Matt Morning Adrian, morning Ashley. how are you? All is good We've uh, Australia New Zealand tomorrow morning at the MCG and then over to Joburg for South Africa against Argentina later in the, in the day Is there what is the mood like in Australia? Trepidation or... Uh, maybe if things go our way here, what are you, what is the mood? Well, actually, my daughter's in um, in Melbourne. They've gone down to watch the game, and uh, I think everyone's there <clears throat> enjoying the laneways and the food and the coffee and the pubs, and uh, they have to go to the rugby and get beaten by New Zealand, and they can do it all again after that. So that's uh, it's more a more a, more a mood of re- resignation that we're going to have to have some humble pie off the Kiwis yet again, which which we've had for the last two decades. So. You know, uh, it's a very different Wallaby side. They've made a lot of changes. Um, and, and so, it's, it, to me, that's an experimental side. Wow, you don't usually go and experiment against a team that has those black jerseys on. They can make you pay. So, uh, it, it's it's difficult. Does he, uh, does, sure. he, does he have no option, Matt? Like, I would, yeah. like you say, the proximity of the World Cup, but the evidence of what we've seen over the last few weeks and beyond, is he been backed into a corner here? Yeah, I, I think so. I, 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 we'll, we'll, let, let's spin back a little bit. Putting Eddie in a year before the World Cup, if he kept the same assistant coaches, I think would have had a much greater effect. Eddie brushed up the entire staff, brought in completely new staff, you know, literally, or well, what are we now? The first game was less than, than uh, two and a half months before the start of the World Cup. And so there's new new systems, new new way of speaking, new way of doing things, new training, and, and the whole team is just not gelling. And that's understandable. So Eddie, Ed, while Eddie is talking about this World Cup, he's got his eyes really on the World Cup in Australia. The second part of that is the, 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 
the three-quarter line he's been picking with Quade Cooper at 10 uh, and Nick White at, at scrum half, you know, that, that, and, and then he had Hodge at 12. All these guys are in their 30s and they're well past their prime. The problem they've got is he doesn't believe they've got anyone else. So the, the selection of Carter Gordon at 10, I think, is a massive, massive step. He's, um, he's a really exciting young player. He's quite slight. And is he ready for top-flight international rugby? And not just ready, but to lead Australia to a win in top-flight international rugby? That, that's, a, that's a very big question. It's changed the three-quarter line. And again, Adrian, I'll come back to your point. I don't think he had any choice. The three-quarter lines that he's been putting out just have not been at international standard. There's no way to say it. So, and, and to give you, your, your listeners, you know, just how far Australian rugby's fallen, uh, that three-quarter line would not be selected in any of the Six Nations teams, perhaps Italy, and then even maybe not Italy with the 10. That, now, if you if 20 years ago, you know, when Australia had Gregan, uh, Steuben Larkin, uh, uh, you, you had Sterling Mortlock at outside centre. You had Matt Ghetto at inside centre. You had you had uh, um, Latham at fullback. You know th- this was a these were great Australian backlines with great players, some of the best in the world. And the quality of the player being produced in Australia for a long time now, but but particularly at the moment has just dried up. Mm. And Eddie is paying that price, but it is not the national coach's problem. It is the system below the national coach in Australia, just as it is the system in Ireland that is producing such great players where Ireland are now ranked number one. Now, that that, that is the reason Ireland are ranked number one because they've got a great system and a great coaching staff at the top of that system. But Australia are really struggling with both at the moment. Well, Matt, where does that leave them then at the minute? Like, momentum is everything in sport. Lost to South Africa, lost to Argentina, coming up against the All Blacks now. You know, it, it's incredibly difficult to get any momentum going for the World Cup. If you're oh, getting these type of losses. Yeah, hundred percent, actually, hundred percent. And that's uh, and, and as you said, it's a sh- much shortened championship. You don't have six games, and we usually have a seventh because they usually play New Zealand three times in the year for the Bledisloe. That's the normal agreement. Uh, outside of a, a World Cup. So, it's, you know, Eddie's got very few games. I know they've got one other warm-up game, but he, he is making he, – he's giving people time, so he, and he's got to do that. Every other team in the championship, with the exception of New Zealand this week, is doing that. New Zealand have selected their best side, in my opinion, and it's a great New Zealand side, not a good one, a great New Zealand side, with Richie Monger, Tim Barrett at fullback. I, I was very surprised that, that McKenzie wasn't on the bench. I'm not sure if he's injured, but – that that is a very very good New Zealand side, a great pack, great three quarter line, lethal back three, and they're getting lots of cohesion. Now they're in a different scenario because they have to play France in game one of the World Cup. So usually at the World Cup, that first game's a bit of a damn squib. You know, it's the it's the host nation against someone, and it's usually a lopsided game. That's going to be one of the great games of the championship, game one, and whoever wins that will top their pools. France versus New Zealand in Paris. First opening match. That's a brilliant game. So New Zealand have to be ready to be at their peak for that. Australia and Ireland and most of the other countries don't. They've got two games leading in to the World Cup to pick it up. So Australia's got a little bit of time. But look, look I, I just I try, always try and say what I, what evidence. So when I speak to you, I, I try and say what evidence can I bring to back up an argument. And I've got no evidence that Australia are going to, are going to go any further than the quarterfinals. Yeah. Uh... 
it is certainly hard to make a case otherwise it's been uh, entertaining I think to listen to Eddie as well in the uh, press during the week he's uh, in terms of the backed into a corner bit giving it both barrels um, talking about how New Zealand sinks when they lose a rugby match the whole country the economy goes down he even managed a little pop of the New Zealand rugby riders fans with keyboards Uh, this is classic Eddie Jones territory yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? It, it? it often helps when you've got someone to back it up on the field, I find. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, on that, Matt, I was having a look at it last night, just on your point there, just in terms of uh, trying to make a case. Like, you know, you mentioned, obviously, the first-time starter at 10. They have 11 players in the starting 15 with under 30 caps, including six of them with 10 caps or less. Like, it's not, yeah. as Stuart Lancaster always talks about, sort of the cap profile of a team and how you're trying to manage that at some sort of a medium level as you go it's uh, it's extraordinary it's really hard I mean I, I presume that Wales and Fiji are uh, are looking at all this licking their chops yeah look I think Australia are very fortunate with the draw at the World Cup I think they're in a very uh, a much easier draw than Ireland you know Ireland are in the hardest draw by a considerable point considerable margin Tonga will be a very difficult team at this World Cup that, that are in Ireland because of the new laws uh, where players that have played for Australia or New Zealand um, or France or any other country, After, if you're not selected for three years, you can go back and play from the country uh, uh, of your heritage. So uh, they have picked up a lot of former Wallabies, and uh, including Israel Folau and, and, and uh, New Zealand players. So they're going to be a very physical side. You know, Wales, I think, uh, are very weak at the moment, and I've got to say that. I thought Wales were terrible during the Six Nations, and I see... You know, nothing that's going to say anything different. Um, I'm not suggesting that Australia are going to walk over them by 50, but, you know, that they are not a strong side, uh, and I, I, I think they'll have enough for the Fijians. So they've got a very easy uh, or easier pool than, than just about anyone else. So they'll and, – and let's say they lose the Wales. I, I suspect they'll finish in the top two. I, I can't see Australia missing the top two, okay. but I also can't see them. They'll then pull England or Argentina – and, you know, again, that side of the pool is much weaker. They should have beaten Argentina even playing terribly as they were last week. They should have beaten them. And then they should have – they can beat England, although the, the, the physicality and the size of the English boards, they always struggle with the, with the Wallabies. So if they pull um, the, the, the Pumas in a quarter, they've got a hope of making a semi. So that side of the draw has a much easier run to a semi-final than, than uh, the, the Irish side of the pool. You know, like two of the top four teams in the world are not going to make the semis. That's just the fact um, because of the way that the, the vagaries of the draw. But Australia have an easy one. But, but if, we, if we come back to your point, teams only win World Cups with an average above 30 caps across the team, across the team. That's, that's, a, that's an right. historical fact. And it's something that Eddie's often quoted. And, again, I don't blame Eddie for this. He's only been in there. Australian rugby has been, uh, as I've often said on your show and I've often written in the Irish Times, and, and it gives me no joy because I, I owe Australian rugby because it produced me. I came through a fabulous system as player and coach and, and it helped me enormously. And I've well, all of us have had to watch that system deteriorate and actively be dismantled by the people who were running Australian rugby across the last two decades. It's, it's one of the great sporting, um, you know, I don't know if I like to say tragedies because, you know, that's, sport doesn't have tragedies, but it's one, it's one of the great sporting failures of, of this century is what's happened in Australian rugby. 
and and also the fact that people were living in denial for so long about what was happening in the men's 15-a-side game. Other aspects of the game have really grown in Australia. Sevens, our women's program have really grown. But the men's 15-a-side game, particularly in Sydney, which is the heartland, mm. has dropped in numbers and, and quality, as has our coaching. Our coaching used to be world-class, top leaders in the world. You talk to some of the players who aren't Australian that go to Australia now, and they are shocked at the standard of coaching they're receiving at the uh, provincial level, like at the Waratahs before us and the Reds. They are shocked compared to where they've come from. All that is self-inflicted wounds. Uh, it, it gives me no joy in it, and I feel quite sad saying that. And I can't uh, – we, we've got some really good leadership there at the moment. Phil War just been appointed CEO, and that's been a big problem is our leadership in the boardroom. Not our, not, everyone's blaming the coaches, a series of well It's not, this is not a coaching problem. This is an administrative problem about how we are running the game and how we are coaching the game on, on the aspects below, uh, below the Wallabies. We used to have a philosophy of play, how we played the game. I was brought up on that philosophy of play. And, and as Ireland, I was begging Ireland to have a philosophy of play for the last 20 years and they got it. And they brought, and, and Andy Farrell's undying credit and he has revolutionised Irish international rugby because he adopted a philosophy play that was Leinster's. So now we've got a philosophy of play that starts at the schools and moves all the way through to the national team. A philosophy of play is it from the bottom up as Leinster's, as Leinster's is, is from the ground up. And you can see Munster starting to play that style of rugby now. Munster in their run to, to win the, the uh, ERC started to play that style. So we're starting to see that spread right across Ireland and that pinnacles out into a national team. Now I heard you talking about your the GA football final, you know, on on uh, on the weekend, same sort of thing. Where you're getting the, these two great uh, uh, teams that have a way of playing. So it's not just a rugby thing. This is a sporting thing across the world. It, it, it could even be a, an educational thing in mathematics. How you have a, a syllabus that starts and grows as you move up up through the years. It's exactly the same. And Australia has walked away from being the leaders in the world on that, which is it's pretty extraordinary statement, isn't it? Pretty yeah. extraordinary. Something that Irish soccer actually, as you talk, it's uh, got a lot of parallels there. They need something to, need to get their head around. Not to further annoy you here, Matt, before we wrap, but uh, as Australia are going that direction, New Zealand are very much headed in the opposite direction. What's your sense of, like, I mean, there was obviously all the chat about Ian Foster and the succession plans in place now. I mean, I don't know, are people suddenly regretting that or is this, um, he seems to be getting a serious tune out of them. Have they improved um, in terms of your overall thoughts around their outlook for the World Cup over the last few weeks, or what's your sense of what's going on over the Tasman? Well, they, if you, uh, I've said to everyone, if you're having a break from rugby before the World Cup, do yourself a favour and watch the first 20 minutes of New Zealand versus South Africa and watch the team in black. It's some of the best rugby you'll ever see in your life. They were scintillating, absolutely scintillating. Um, it was just a pleasure to watch and when the game is played like that, it's so entertaining. Like, it was just brilliant to watch. Um, and, and they're playing great rugby. I mean, again, that's not good news for Ireland uh, because you, you're looking at who's the worst team in the Ireland side of South Africa. My goodness. And, you know, like, how can you say they're the worst team? They're, they're still a great side. They put 40 points on the Wallabies. But New Zealand were brilliant. Uh, it's hard to, to lay your finger on. You know, you know what I... I I do think, Adrian, that he, Foster, this is Ian Foster, was subject to, to the worst attack I've ever seen on a coach in any sport. It was disgraceful. 
Um, New Zealand, the New Zealand media should hang their head in disgrace, as should the, the New Zealand CEO and who did not back their coach or their board. And he was vilified in a way no sports person should be. He did nothing wrong except this team lost. And I think he just said, I don't want to, I can't put up with this. I don't want, well, I, this isn't worth it. And you know what? I think he's happy with that and I think he's relaxed. And I think that's come across into the team. He knows the end point. He, and he's going to say, I'm going to enjoy this World Cup. I've been the all-black coach. I'm getting out now. I don't have to put up with this rubbish anymore. And Robbo is a great coach. Uh, Scotty Robinson is coming in. Fantastic guy, great coach. So their, their succession plan is great. But I think there is a, a much more relaxed air amongst the team. They are precise in what they're doing. They've got a good plan. And th- they are settled in to their ways. Now, remember, they sacked the, the New Zealand side, did get rid of, Plumtree was their forwards coach, and they, you know they they got rid of three of their assistant coaches, and they brought in three other very good coaches. Uh, Jason Ryan running the forwards from the Crusaders as one, and that took took a while to bet in, but it has bedded in, mate. And they're they if they play like that against Australia at the MCG, uh, you know you, you can't see anything. You, you can see fifty points coming, and that's really sad for the Wallabies in Australia. But he, unfortunately. Unless something happens that I that I can't see, I, you know, fifty points would not be a shock to me. I normally uh, end these pieces with uh, enjoy the games. I'm not sure that's hugely appropriate, Matt, but uh, <laughs> we will catch up with you down the track. Thanks, million for that. Pleasure, guys. Good to see you. That Matt Williams and the line. They're looking ahead to that final weekend of uh, rugby championship action. The philosophy bit is kind of interesting. Definitely, jump the football thing jumps out at me a mile. Mm-hmm. Like you know, the if Stephen Kenny goes, do we? What happens? Yeah. And the same question, obviously, in relation to Vera Poe. Is that what Eddie Jones is trying to do there? Just when he has these players in that don't have a hell of a lot of caps, mm. he's trying to build something. Is that what he's trying to do? Is he looking to, I'd like Matt said, the next World Cup? I'd, I would genuinely say that he's just looking at it and uh, he has just no option. Like, I'd say he looked, he's looked at the team over the last few weeks. He's looking at ageing players in key positions at 10 particularly and he's just thinking, I can't go into a World Cup like this. He may well end up going back to Quay Cooper. That's... Yeah, imminently possible I would say um, but at least he's developing some succession that if he does in the middle of the World Cup like it's it's, I don't know we can say it as because we come from where we come from and the draw has gone the way it's gone I'm sure Australians are thinking the draw being held so far out from the World Cup is an absolute masterstroke and it's great and we'd be saying the same thing if it was on us mm. but like Matt has outlined a path for Australia through to a quarter final there that's not a crazy path even, no. even, even as low as they are um, whereas we're going to at the pin of our collar to get there. To get there. And we're... Um, and we're look where we are and where they we are. We are a better team than Australia, whatever whatever else you want to say, but... Mm. Yeah. Um, you're to Thurlis on Saturday and then Croker on Sunday. Yeah, busy weekend. Looking great forward weekend. to it. Yeah, great weekend is right. Yeah, it should be some good games. Um, very much looking forward to Saturday now. It's a tough one to call, as I was saying. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it should be good. And then straight up the road Who then. Who are you with on Sunday? Um, on Sunday, I am with Paddy Andrews. Oh, very good. Very yeah, good, very good. yeah. Paddy is always good to to cover the game, so we have a good laugh. Tommy was saying at the pod during the week that since he's come on to the pod, the football pod, that Dublin haven't won in All Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yeah. Well, geez, he is funny just beside watching the games. Like passionate, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's obviously a a true dub, and yeah. you can see that in him. Um, when sometimes when I do it with Tommy Welch. You know, obviously he's Michael Kenny, but, but he'll yeah, tone it a small bit. Yeah, Not yeah, Paddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, well, listen, enjoy them. Pleasure Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Adrian. Thanks OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show 
from Off the Ball.